0: This episode is proudly supported by Dove. Over half the girls around the world suffer from low self-esteem, which causes them to opt out of important life activities and puts their health at risk. But the Dove Self-Esteem Project is the world's largest provider of self-esteem education and teaches the next generation to feel comfortable in their own skin by working with schools and parents. Dove has created and uses educational evidence-based resources that are designed to help young girls and boys reach their full potential. They cover topics like bullying and social media to help young people build a positive relationship with the way they look. You can get these printable resources to help increase the self-esteem in the young people in your life at dove.ca slash self-esteem. But Alex?
1: Yeah, Shane? Let's get to the episode.
0: <laughs> Let's do it. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for Happy Hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 59.
1: Whoa, 59, the big 5-9. We made the it. The big
0: 5-9. You said
1: it wouldn't happen, but we are here.
0: <laughs> we are here, and we're feeling good. I'm feeling good now. The kids are in bed.
1: Are we? Okay, I wasn't sure if we were feeling good, because we had qu- quite a rough week. Oh, fuck. We, <laughs> <laughs> But get into the guests, and then we can get into the week.
0: All right, I we suppose. do have an exciting episode for you tonight. We have Michelle Waterson, an MMA fighter, and she was just the main event at the last UFC fight.
1: Yeah, and this isn't just a guest. This is somewhat of a friend of ours. We actually went on a trip to... Mexico. Was it Cancun? I don't know. I think it might have been Cancun, for a friend was surprising his uh, now fiancé, uh, it was an engagement surprise so, event vacation. <laughs> well, i got to
0: say, I've never been to a surprise engagement. And this trip in itself was pretty hilarious. So a ton of us flew down to Mexico, us and Michelle Waterson included.
1: And this is before you were pregnant with yeah. Lucy.
0: And we all hid behind bushes while our friend proposed to his girlfriend, who had no idea that any of us were there. She said yes, and we all popped out of the bushes with champagne.
1: And we had like $400 bottles of champagne we didn't pay for this oh god no but this this man who was quite successful who was doing this surprise thing and he directed a documentary with michelle called fight mom so michelle came down because they they had a friendship over the uh the filming of the documentary and while we were there we didn't really bond with a lot of the people on the trip mm-hmm. except for michelle because she had brought her at the time six-year-old or maybe even five-year-old daughter araya oh my and gosh we, we would just hang out in the pool with her and her daughter and her husband Josh, who was a stuntman at the time, and they were just so friendly. And Araya was loving you so much; okay. she thought you were a princess. I or was something.
0: obsessed with Araya, and I think I think that's a big reason. I know we're already talking about having kids, but I think our hanging out with them and like bonding with this six-year-old was a big step in us getting pregnant three months later. Because we were like, okay, we can handle this, you know. And it it was that was a big moment for me.
1: Yeah, I remember being jealous of Araya liking you and I was, kind of, <laughs> I was kind of scared to talk to children at that point because I didn't know intelligence level. I'm yeah. like, do you talk to a five-year-old? You five were kind of old?
0: awkward with kids in general, I think, at that point.
1: Yeah, do you talk to a five-year-old like they're a baby or like a real person? I didn't know. I didn't want to uh, pander to the child or whatever. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. But point is, now we have her on the podcast and we did so right after she had this massive headlining fight where she beat Angela Hill. It
0: was it was a wild wild fight. If you can find clips of it online, check it out because it, like I'm not a fight person. I don't sit there and watch every UFC thing, but this was madness, and Shane and I had so much fun. We were on the edge of our seats on the couch the entire time, like well, screaming when you know at the TV. The but too. not just that, the fight itself was just nuts.
1: But keep in mind, we know her, so we're rooting for her. the first two rounds. She was losing. I know. And, and I'm like, not only are we going to watch our friend lose which i'd hate to see but i'm like oh no she's not gonna want to do an interview after she loses she's gonna be in a much better oh exactly agreeable mood if she wins it's almost like i had money on the line and then when she won i was so excited i was pacing the entire fight i was jumping (laughs) up and down we were like hugging each other and uh yeah so we have her and we're so glad because she's just the sweetest person and her her husband's her manager so just It was fun just even booking Mm -hmm. her on.
0: Yeah, no, you'll feel her energy as you're listening. And I have to say the same thing about our second guest tonight. We have Sarah Edmondson, who wrote the book Scarred. She starred in The Vow, the new docuseries on HBO. And she was a member of the sex trafficking cult, Nexium. It is an absolutely unbelievable story.
1: And she didn't do any sex trafficking, by the way. She did not escaped the cult of mm-hmm. it's obvious this isn't a spoiler and i found out about her through a tweet seth rogan tweeted that he had saw the vow which is the documentary about this and said oh my goodness i'm so glad sarah edmondson escaped this cult could be because i went to jewish camp with her when i was a child right. and sarah tweeted him back and then i noticed some people in the comments were like hey sarah come on my podcast and I was like, what? She should be on our podcast. I'm upset. Obs- like I listened to, there was a, a podcast about Nexium that yeah. I listened to. I listened to the whole series of it, was fascinated by this.
0: Sarah said yes. We were so excited because in the process of booking her, Shane and I had become completely obsessed with all things Nexium. And of course, Sarah is such a brave and courageous figure to come out of that scene. And in the process of booking her, I think Sarah became her friend.
1: Well, and, she's your friend. Well, she yeah. She does not DM me. I don't even think she follows me.
0: <laughs> but, uh, no, she she's so sweet, so nice, and just has an incredible story of bravery and just of overcoming everything because her whole life was surrounded in this cult, which you'll hear in the interview, her friendships, her marriage, her work, everything. And to step away from that and realize that everything in your life is toxic is a huge move. But can't wait for you guys to hear this because it, is it, it truly a good is interview.
1: i wasn't even there for half the interview
0: oh it was it was a crazy day for an interview i gotta say that we were at the cottage the babies weren't sleeping there was a car alarm going off in the middle of the forest tell me what the hell happened there
1: the wi-fi and wasn't working all day wi-fi had, was bad i had to use my phone data there i couldn't figure out zoom on my phone the it, it was just a hectic day. I left for half the interview to go get Betty because mm-hmm. she was crying. And you had actually read more of her book. You had finished her book, yeah. and I was halfway through her book. Yeah, which her book's amazing, by the way.
0: It, it's it's so. Fascinating. I think it would
1: make a great Christmas gift. We talk about this in the episode, but it actually would make a great Christmas gift because mm-hmm. most people are interested in cult stuff.
0: No, it was it was a wild day for an interview and. We were cut a little bit short. Sarah had to get to work. I had to go help out with the kid. I could have talked to her for an entire afternoon. So Sarah, if you're listening, when COVID is over and when we can travel again, Shane and I are going out to BC and we are having that bottle of wine because I want to hear everything.
1: Well, we're going to record it for a podcast, I hope.
0: Well, I just want to talk to her. You know I don't do social interactions (laughs) unless somehow there's
1: a podcast involved. But there is a season two coming up.
0: Yeah. But uh, shall we with the drinks?
1: Yeah. Let's cheers this drink. All right. Let's see. What do we got here? We have a seed lip beverage, of Cheers. course, non alcoholic seed lip. Oh, man, that's good.
0: Oh, that's nice, eh? Yeah,
1: this is. You've outdone yourself. What is this? Oh,
0: thank you, love. All right. So I made us the seed lip sour. It is a, we're using, <sighs> sorry, I made us the garden sour. So it's seed lip variant Garden 108. It is lemon juice, apple cider vinegar, cloudy apple cider, an egg. I'm going to post a picture of this, but there's like so a I don't half like the inch... sound of an
1: egg in a drink. Well, there's
0: a half inch of froth and that's because you mix in egg white.
1: Okay. Yeah. And that gives it doesn't gives taste it the froth. eggy. I'm no. not a big egg in the drink, man.
0: No, but it gives it the froth and it makes everything a little creamier. It's like nice. It's not an ingredient that you can tell is there aside from the texture and how it looks.
1: I like it. I it's like nice, this eh? one a lot. It's right up there.
0: And Shane, a sprig of rosemary as garnish.
1: I love the sprig. And this is good because as people know, I haven't been drinking at all Mm -hmm. for the month of October. (laughs) The reason we're kind of laughing here is because we did drink last night and I did a lot of things that I didn't want to do because I wanted to do them because we had a a really rough week. I'm, I'm talking, it started with a Friday night pizza. Normally we have a pizza on Friday nights.
0: But it was also a small pizza.
1: It was a small pizza. My mom brought it over. We were trying to be polite. She's like, "Is that enough pizza for the family?" And we're like, "Yes." And we just eat our slice, and then immediately we order McFlurry because we're like, "That wasn't yeah. enough food." Then we're like, "Okay, we have to, we have to drink alcohol." This week was insane, so we pulled out a bottle of wine. Then we pulled out some.
0: Well, we have a gallon of whiskey that we well, bought. Well, first we pulled out whiskey.
1: Then we pulled out some wine, and then after the bottle of wine was done, we said, "Let's get some Taco Bell," and then we got, uh, you know, six tacos.
0: Chalupas, toasted chalupas. Toasted. If you haven't had those yet, the cheesy toasted chalupas—they're incredible.
1: They are. And I asked Alex to order me some hard tacos, and she goes, "You sure you don't want me to surprise me?" I said, "Alex, I Shane hate- doesn't
0: like how I order.
1: I hate surprises." Yet, she still thought she'd do me a favor and get the Taco Supreme, which Who is not good. Who chooses
0: the regular hard taco over the Taco Supreme the taco when you get the Taco Supreme is the terrible. Cheese. They put way too much sour cream in there. Do you even have cheese on there. a regular
1: one? Yes. There's cheese and lettuce and beef. It's a perfect mix. I didn't
0: know they put all that. The taco lettuce Taco Supreme
1: and... at Taco Bell is not good. There's way too much sour it's cream. It's tasty. It's not as good in... No.
0: Oh, I just had a dollop on mine.
1: But point is, never change someone's order when they're not asking it to be changed that that surprise isn't always i
0: thought by hard taco everybody just automatically meant taco supreme like hard taco supreme i thought that was just the baseline
1: no but sometimes drinking alcohol is helpful (laughs) (laughs) like you know i drink the seed lip for relaxing and there's there's no like It's not like I'm going to get super silly off a bunch of seed lip. I have it, <laughs> and I'm relaxed. But the alcohol makes me a little sillier. It makes me indulge in food a little bit more. Well, and the next time. day, I feel a little bit of pain. But I will say this time, it was worth it. And I guess it it all started with our, our hectic week. With We had a photo shoot on Monday, mm-hmm. and it was for Miku. We were doing an ad for Miku. Oh, was, it was very cool. I was very excited. We got,
0: we're now, Shane, we can say we are... Paid models. Like, we are officially models.
1: I know. It's very cool. It's very surreal. I feel very handsome. (laughs) Uh, You know, I've never really felt that way before, but I'm feeling it now.
0: (laughs) For baby monitor But
1: but Miku said, (laughs) we need the most handsome dad there. But... They, Miku requested that I wear blue jeans, and I don't have blue jeans. I, ha- I have three pairs of pants that I wear, and they're... Kitten ace. Kitten ace, and they're kind of like these short dress pant hybrid. They're kind of weird, but I like them. But I found this old pair of jeans I used to wear a few years ago, but they're very big on me now. So the day before, I asked you if you could wash them for me and shrink them and dry them. Day of the shoot, I go to get them, but they're soaking wet. Mm-hmm. So... I'm like, oh, Alex, I need to dry them. They're still wet. And you go, oh, put them in the dryer. So I knocked the the stuff that was in the dryer, put it on the ground, put my jeans in, dried them, and then we did the photo shoot.
0: Yeah, but it was a successful photo shoot. And just to clarify, when Shane says soaking wet, they weren't like sopping. There was no water dripping off them. They were like, you know when things get like cold damp? It was like that.
1: It would be like putting on the most uncomfortable pair of jeans imaginable.
0: I don't doubt it would be uncomfortable. I'm just saying they weren't soaking. Just for the listeners.
1: Yeah, that point might be irrelevant to (laughs) listeners because I don't think anyone listening would be like, wow, I wish I was wearing those jeans.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And
1: I'm I'm not being unreasonable by putting in...
0: I don't think you are.
1: Okay, so we had the shoot and the shoot was like from like 6 a.m. till 8 a.m. Yeah. And then... Start my day at work, then working, work, work, work. Then we have an interview that day, then interviews done, all the kids, hectic day. At the end of the day, I'm like, wow, this has been a rough week. And then I realized it was only, had only been one day.
0: Yeah. And then every day that followed was kind of like that. It was interviews, kid stuff, work stuff, Regular house maintenance. Well, you you were getting
1: you were getting migraines. Oh,
0: it was it was horrendous. So like that's the thing. So we had all the stuff going on with the family, and my stuff I felt like was almost separate, even though it impacted everybody. So I've. I've been getting migraines since I was like eight, but I get complicated migraines. So before I get the migraine, I get the aura and I lose my vision. Then I have migraine. Then sometimes I will have paralysis of the entire left side of my body and I can't stop vomiting. So it's this like very fine line of, okay, Alex can't see. She's vomiting. She's half paralyzed. Do we go to the hospital? Do we stay home? And we're kind of waiting by the phone all day, but Last week, no paralysis, but I spent half the week blind and my lupus was exacerbating everything. I'm kind of getting a flare up and it was just, it was a really bad health week for me. And then the Betty wasn't sleeping at nighttime, so I couldn't Mm. even get rest.
1: So it wasn't like a pleasant week at all. And I, I think it reached its apex when I was trying to do some editing work. And somehow like we keep the kitty litter in there, but I guess a little bit of Oh cat poop was attached to the cat's bum, and
0: fell off underneath fell your fell off
1: underneath my chair. And then I stepped in the cat poop, and Alex comes in and she's like, "Oh, it stinks in here." I'm go- <laughs> Shane. You don't do the kitty litter right. I'm going to do the kitty litter from now on because, of course, you couldn't do it during your pregnancy. Anyway, I'm like, okay. I'm like, but it stinks like the worst. Like I feel like the cat shit under my nose. Look down. I've been stepping in the cat shit. I've been walking all around the house. So so so, so I decide. I have to go, I have to take my socks off, go upstairs and have a shower because I smell of cat shit. So I'm just popping in for a quick shower. Alex comes in. Hey, I go, ah, I scream because I'm very scared and startled easily in the shower. And you go, did you do this? I'm like, what did you throw clothes out of the dryer on the floor in the laundry room? I'm like, "Uh, I don't think so. You didn't, you didn't do it. like, I don't think so. You're like, you did do it. I didn't do this shade and I was like oh I was like oh uh yeah on Monday when my jeans were uh, uncomfortably <laughs> cold I guess we'll call it I wanted to put them back in the dryer so to do so I had to put the dryer stuff on the floor but I'm like that room's a mess anyway so yeah you're like that's no excuse just because it's a mess okay
0: I hated walking upstairs I know you stepped in cat poo, but I hated walking upstairs and the fact that you were having a leisurely shower for the second day in a row made me so I was so... scrubbing
1: cat shit I, off my heels, I don't Alex. Care. There was I don't cat care. shit on my heels and I had so... holes in my socks. The shit was actually on my feet. You know <laughs> that the, this wood floor tears socks apart. But
0: here's the thing. I think in some part of my mind I wish I was the one who stepped in the cat shit because I wanted to take that shower and I wanted a reason to be in a shower for 10 minutes. For the second day in a row Because that hasn't happened to me And then you know what I think out of spite I didn't even put on deodorant that day So that everywhere I went You'd have to sit beside me stinky
1: Well I don't care I'd rather deodorant Like smelling bad is one thing But smelling like shit is another And the way you were treating me Was ridiculous Because one I was not This was so not like you I knew something was up (laughs) You never care about things like this And have such vitriol And anger towards it that I was like, I have to talk to Alex. Like, what's really wrong here? Because mm-hmm. you're not actually angry about the thing you're saying you're angry about.
0: Right. It wasn't It wasn't the clothes on the floor. It was getting up. Because you
1: throw clothes everywhere. That's no, like your I know. thing.
0: Your thing too, by the way. Yeah, it's our thing. <laughs> it's one of our happy shared things as a couple. But, you know, it's the fact that I was so sick all week. And you were so helpful during the days, obviously. And I'm so grateful for that. But it was that I was so sick. Yet, Betty's crying and waking up, we're going through a developmental leap. So she's waking up every hour or hour and a half throughout the night. And every time I get up, you're snoring, you're asleep, whatever. And that never bothers me. But the fact that I was so exhausted and feeling so crappy, it was getting to me. And then the fact that you were showering every day, I know, like, totally should not get mad about that because I should be somehow getting in there I always talk about the need for new moms to get in the shower every day but I wasn't finding the time because any downtime I had I was just using it to sit there and close my eyes because of my migraines and my loss of vision and it was awful and I was it was out of like pure I guess jealousy and I was feeling resentment thinking that you had more time than me even though I know you don't I don't know it was it was a weird feeling and just thinking about it right now Makes me feel like I need another shot. I'm not gonna have one because this is relaxing seed lip night, but oh man, baby.
1: Yeah, it was rough. And I'd never, you had never yelled at me like that before in our entire relationship, which one reminds me how nice you are to, to not be like <laughs> that. Most of your aggression is actually passive aggressive, it's like boiling below the surface, and you'll be short with me, which bothers me more. Mm-hmm. But I was really thinking, man, this is totally unlike Alex. And we had planned to treat each other like we were dating this yeah. week, which I'm starting to think might be an unrealistic plan. Maybe we just make the plan to be totally civil with each other. No,
0: no, 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 I, I like the dating thing. I stand by that. And I, I think it's a really good plan. And it's, you know, if, well, if, it, it, if, hold on, if the ask is to go above and beyond, then even if we are stressed or really feeling it, then at least... We're going to try to make it and maybe we'll get halfway there, right? I think it's good.
1: But do you know what scares me? And and it almost makes me not like the dating thing. What? Every morning you wake up to me and you go, that was the worst night ever. This
0: week, it's only this week. And this week has been a worse night and then a worse night and then a worse night.
1: So then the hairs on my neck stand up and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to be a rough one for Alex and I. Because she's going to be like, you know, hair trigger moods and swings and all that. And then you're like, oh, Shane thinks I'm going to be upset. So all of a sudden you have this like manic, like,
2: la-di-da, hey, look at me. <laughs> and you'll be
1: dancing and you'll be throwing on like all these songs and like someone need their water and you'll be tickling me. And I'm like <laughs> trying to go along with it. But you get to a manic point and then you crumble. So I well, think, only because
0: you're not meeting me at the happy point. Because so you're it's not like, acting oh, so like what, yourself and it's So scary. what's the point of being... No, I am acting like myself. Just I'm be just,
1: mildly happy. This whole act you I put on like everything's happy. okay. What
0: do I ever do that's mild? I'm either really happy or...
1: No, you're monotone. not... Your normal disposition where you're pleasant, but it's not overkill. you start pinching my butt and like like come here schmoopy and want to kiss and i hate it
0: you're okay you're the first one to drop a schmoopy but yes i would pinch your butt and maybe throw a little tickle tickle here and there but i mean meet me meet me at the happy point somewhere in there
1: i just know the crash is so much the worse once you start with this act all right okay this is my piece i wanted to save it for the pod but i actually had a breaking point where you were pulling this stunt today and i had to tell you be this way but just do not crash because this is a a telltale sign that you're going to hit the rock bottom hard with your mood i
0: have a good way to fix it
1: you're gonna want to kiss her a hug right now no what is it
0: let's just make sure that mama gets a few uh you know extra minutes of shut eye in the morning
1: It's just sometimes Dada (laughs) needs to get the work done too. And I know it's...
0: I know. Ain't nobody going to get the work done if I'm trying to dance with you and pinch your butt though and you're not liking it.
1: It's true. Uh, So that was my story topic time. Uh, So we're going to continue the dating thing?
0: Yeah, let's continue. I I like it and I think that there is a lot of good in it.
1: And I'll try to keep the uh, stuff off the laundry room floor. (laughs) not.
0: I don't care about that. I don't care about that.
1: Well, I know the laundry room's a, a unmitigated disaster. It is, and I almost forgot mm-hmm. the one of the my points of this story was, I, I obviously I hated the week so much, and I I hated us going on this roller coaster of manic <laughs> fake highs and then lows and whatever, and like arguing. But at one point, you and I were having like a pretty I thought was a civil <laughs> conversation. This was after the shower. And then Lucy came up to us and said, no, 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 stop. And you and I both stopped. And she goes, be nice to each other. Oh, right. And it was like, whoa.
0: That was that. And was we both kind of
1: started like crying because it was like a cry like, oh my goodness, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen. And wow, I hope I'm not damaging her through seeing mommy and daddy argue because it seemed like a pretty minor discussion.
0: Yeah. And here's like... Our arguments aren't intense or anything, but like their discussions with maybe a sharper tone, right? Because we're both trying to get our point across and we're both frustrated, but that I don't even think our tones were that sharp and to have Lucy come in though and recognize that it's not a happy conversation was really, really hard and it made me feel like crap and it made Shane feel like crap. And yeah, I was
1: like, this is so cute and so sad.
0: Yeah, but it was, it was hard. Like I don't want her... And I know, obviously, she doesn't think that like we argue all the time because she sees us when we're happy all the time and having fun. But yeah, I.
1: Well, I thought your reaction to it wasn't the best. You said, shut up. And you threw a glass.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, that was that was really hard, though. And you know it reminded me of me being a kid because I remember and I think I've said this on the pod before but if my parents were arguing you know I'd like start crying and maybe I'd be like 10. I'd be like don't get a divorce. Don't get a divorce. I'm like how hard is it to hear your kid when you're just trying to have a discussion work something out with your spouse and your kid thinks you're having a divorce. It's that's hard.
1: Yeah, that's it. I had some other topics, but you know, this story was just so captivating. I, I had the question, do you think Lou's a mommy's girl or a daddy's girl?
0: I think she's a Nona's girl right now. Nona just came back to live with us for the week, and she is all over her, showering with so much love.
1: Yeah, but you're always going to want the new shiny thing that comes to the door. <laughs> just in general, do you think she's a mommy's girl or a daddy's girl?
0: I think Lou's a mommy's girl.
1: Yeah, me too like well let's hope betty's a daddy's girl okay continue
0: (laughs) but uh i saw an interesting article today so sometimes i will type in like interesting parenting news or whatever and then all the new studies in parenting will come up on like science daily and in academic journals and on news sites and i just like to peruse those for like blog ideas and just you know general interest so a study came out on september 9th of this year in the journal of comparative psychology and this was put out like i read it through science daily the study said that people who were children when their parents divorced have less love hormone, so oxytocin and that might play a role in them having trouble forming attachments when they're older and i thought this was interesting because i would think that maybe it had you know their ability to form attachments would have more to do with how their parents handled divorce and what they saw from that. So I thought it was weird because then I also think about my friends who have divorced parents. And there aren't many. I think I have two close friends with divorced parents. But both of those girls have been in extremely loving and healthy relationships. Like one of them, she's been dating the guy since 10th grade in high school. And they just had their first daughter.
1: For me, being a child of divorce, it's easy to attach because I know That's what I want. Like, I want, I guess, what maybe I I didn't observe, Mm -hmm. which was a huge loving thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's harder for me to be, I don't know, seem loving? It seems like you don't think I'm loving, but...
0: No, I I think you're really loving in some ways. And then I think that... No, I, yeah, I, I think you are loving it. Oh, good, and I, I think, am loving you. Yeah. Good, no, maybe you my are. tone's just bad. <laughs> I didn't want to get into it. But what about, like, when you think on a wider spectrum, like other people you know, do you think it has any impact in real world? It's
1: hard. I only know me. Yeah. Like, I, I don't really know how my other friends are feeling, actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Well, moving on. I just want to point out one thing that Lucy said today. Well, she's said it a few times, but she made it really clear that she has taken on the...
1: Popular Canadian lingo. Yeah, like
0: if there's one thing that Canadians are known for saying, kind of slang, it's A. And Lucy today said it twice so oh, clearly. Oh, she says it all the time. It's hilarious. What do you... Like, when I hear her say that, I I get kind of proud. But then no. it also makes me think, do I say A that often?
1: I say it probably more than you. Uh, but she's like, that's really cool, eh? Yeah,
0: it's adorable. Yeah. It's so cute. I love it. I love the little Canadian baby. But what do you say we move on and get to our first guest, Shane?
1: Okay, this is Michelle Watterson. Uh, she seems like somebody who wouldn't kick your ass, but she absolutely will if it if it needs to be done. And I think this interview kicks ass.
0: Oh, I definitely agree. And yeah. Let us know. I don't know why I said that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Shoot us an email. Let us know. And I just want to note that at the beginning of this conversation, we really do talk a lot about MMA stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you're like, what is this? I I want, where's my mommy talk? We do definitely hardcore get into the mommy stuff. So just like wade through the MMA stuff if that's not your bag, because it does get into stuff that probably will pique your interest. But first, Alex, tell us who we are supported by.
0: We are supported by the Miku Smart Baby Monitor. This monitor is the most accurate sleep and breathing monitor you will come across.
1: If you're scared if your baby is breathing or not, this is the monitor for you.
0: It's true, and it doesn't need another piece of technology like a chest piece or a little sock that you put on your kid like so many of the other monitors out there.
1: Completely sockless, in fact.
0: It's sockless. They use sensor fusion technology to monitor your kid's breathing, and it works with your smartphone to alert you of changes in your baby's vitals and nursery conditions. They have crypto security, which means no hacking. They have HD photo and video, great night vision, and sounds and lullabies for your baby to fall asleep to.
1: If it was any better, you wouldn't even need to parent your child.
0: (laughs) I wish. That's the next step for Miku. So if you want to get in on this monitor, go to MikuCare.com and use the promo code FAMILYTREE20 for $79 off. This is US customers only, but you can go again to MikuCare.com, use the promo code FAMILYTREE20, and you will get a whopping
1: $79 off. This is no joke. This is not a prank show. So go use that promo code.
0: No other monitor is Amiku.
1: But we are also supported by
0: Seedlip, the world's first non-alcoholic spirit. Seedlip is crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, and they solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking. So Seedlip is amazing, whether it's during the week, for a little afternoon sip, or on a Saturday night. They're crafted using a bespoke process that involves the traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, you've got Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, Offer something for every type of drinker.
1: And what's the best part about it? Well, good question, Shane. It (laughs) is the fact that you still feel like you're drinking alcohol. For me, it still has the same relaxing properties. And I do not suffer from the hangover the next morning.
0: The worst part, for sure.
1: I'm getting old. Two drinks. I'm hungover.
0: <laughs> Seedlip pairs perfectly with a splash of tonic. However, if you are feeling like a little bit of a fancy pants like we usually are, you can check out the Seedlip Cocktail Book for more complex cocktails. So head on over to SeedlipDrinks.com or SeedlipDrinks.ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off. You can also follow Seedlip on Instagram at Seedlip underscore for more ways to enjoy again that is seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and this family tree 10
1: so do that and do this listen to this interview with MMA superstar Michelle Watterson.
0: Michelle first of all so nice to see you it's been 3 years i think since we spent a week Or, you know, a weekend in Mexico, oddly, together out of nowhere. So nice to see you again. And congrats on your fight and your win with Angela Hill. And then your brown belt that was awarded to you for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Shane and I were watching your fight from the couch and going
1: Oh, that was so exciting. That was like one of the best fights I've ever seen. Not that I've seen... A ton of fights, but (laughs) (laughs) that was so exciting. Did you think it was going to be that intense, that fight? Like, could you have predicted that?
3: You know, I, I don't know what to have predicted. I just knew I, I went into the fight with the mentality that there was only one outcome and that was for me to win. I knew the outcome on my end. I just I didn't know who was going to show up. And I was hoping, obviously, to get the best Angela Hill. And I ideally, I wanted to finish. You know, ideally, I wanted to go in there and put on a clinic. But, you know, Angela showed up and she she wanted the win as badly as I did. But, I, you know, obviously I wanted it a little bit more. And and so that's that, that was the formula to, to put on a, a fight of the night performance.
1: So I've obviously, I've never been in the ring. But when you're in it, can you tell when you're going to win? Like, do you know, like, they're going to raise my hand?
3: I do. I, I do feel like, I mean, you know, the fight against Carla, I, I thought that I won. It was a really close fight and it was a controversial split decision. It was the first fight with no crowd and, and with the pandemic and trying to navigate through all of that stuff. And so there was a little bit of shakiness as far as the judges go and the commentators mm-hmm. and even the athletes and the cornermen. It was just a, a new, a new world for all of us. And so you know, obviously, I think there were some things that we all had to adjust to. But when I talk about, you know, I thought I won, but I also was very disappointed in my performance. I thought it was kind of lackluster. I thought it was a, a bit of a dud of a fight. If I, I mean, if I'm being honest, I think it, you know, it uh, it didn't live up to my expectations. And those are things that it's kind of like you you look back on it and you say should have, would have, could have. But the time has come and gone and it, and there was no point in me dwelling on it. And so in, in this fight, I don't think my, my intention was to go out there and, and put on a show for everybody, but my intention definitely was to go out there and perform to my best ability to go out there and actually allow myself to utilize every single, you know, tool that I had in the toolbox to go out there and enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. And because I know when I do that, I, I win. Yeah. And, and so also, I think within inside the fight, so it's kind of crazy because the fight went from being co-main event, three five minute rounds to a week before the fight happening, being bumped up to main event and adding two extra um, rounds to that. And it was pretty big for Angela because, you know, I think it was her first main event. And I think that I do quite well when it comes to, you know, raising the stakes, when it comes to rising to the occasion And I just remember hitting the championship rounds and just being so hyped and so excited and just in the zone. And I remember standing up and kind of like screaming because I was just excited. And I remember looking over, getting ready to, to go back into the fight into the fourth round and she just did not have that same energy and that's when i knew i won i could Mm -hmm. see it in her energy i could see it in her body language and maybe i don't know if nobody else uh could but just sharing the octagon with her looking across Mm -hmm. the the cage and her not wanting to be there seeing it in her eyes i knew that i had won Mm
1: -hmm. yet somehow it felt like she thought she won we were Mm -hmm. watching her at the end i'm like oh she really thought she won do you think that's just inexperience
3: um I you know it could be a a number of things it could be you know being in the zone on her end and her only accounting for you know what she thought and and it could just be the type of athlete she is maybe she is a bit of and and I think it all I, we all feel that way right after the fight you're you're a little pissed you're a little salty you know what i mean mm-hmm. and um and so uh, i don't know if she's gone back and reevaluated but But uh, if she doesn't reevaluate, if she doesn't take some introspective, you know, uh, looks at, you know, why it is that she lost and she's going to continue to lose. And and that's just kind of how I see it. That's how I saw it against Carla. Okay, I thought I won, but the reality is I lost. Mm -hmm. The judges thought I lost. It was a split decision. And so I can't I can't complain about losing. I have to figure out why I lost and and
0: fix those things. Now, Michelle, you said that, you know, a part of your prep is that you want to go in the ring and have fun. And I think about stepping in a ring, getting the shit kicked out Mm -hmm. of me. And I'm like, that is so far from my idea of fun. (laughs) And, you know, I respect that's your sport. That's your passion. And I'm so curious, like, how did you get into fighting? Like, what made you think, yeah, I want to get kicked in the face for a living?
3: Well, I I don't think it's fun for anybody to get kicked in the face. (laughs) I don't think anybody is like today. I'm looking forward to getting kicked in the face. You (laughs) You do in a way you do in a way.
1: Well, she looks forward to maybe kicking someone. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I, you know, I think it is with all of us, within all of us, and it might change, you know, throughout your time and throughout your experiences. But I, all think, I think within all of us, there is, you know, you have a fight or flight instinct, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I think that I have a fight instinct. Uh, and, and, I, and I realized that from a really young age when I was doing the point sparring. And I remember in, in point sparring and in karate, um, when you do the tournaments, it it is not based on weight. It's based on belt. So belt and age. And so I was always the smallest person. You know, I was always fighting these, these huge girls. And so that never like carried any weight the size of a person. But I do remember sparring this girl and her in any point sparring, it's all about control. So it's kind of like, you know, can you could you, you know, knock them out or what you know, how good of control do you have in, in a situation? Because it's it's essentially practice. But this girl straight laid me out, hit me with the sidekick straight to the face and knocked me back into the judge's table. Everything goes flying. And, there, you know, you hear the crowd go. Oh, <laughs> and I just remember I remember being like kicked in the back, like within the back of the chair and off the mats and blood streaming down my, my face. And I just remember like wiping the blood and looking at it and just my blood boiling and me just being like so pissed that she got that she made me bleed my own blood. <laughs> <laughs> Like I just wipe it in everybody, the you know the ref is like, do you need some time? No, I like I was like, no, I want to get back in there, you know. And at that moment, I realized I'm a fighter. Like I have it in me. Like I didn't,
0: I I wasn't mad that she that she made me bleed. I wanted to get her back, you know. So okay, I want to get this straight because your intro to the MMA fighting or whatever i'm getting the names wrong probably but you were a ring girl and then you Mm -hmm. had a friendship with cowboy donald seroni and did he Mm -hmm. help you get into the ring because i read you won your first pro fight without any experience well i mean i I, I wouldn't say without any experience
3: because you know I grew up in I grew up in the mar- in the combat world doing sport karate. I, I competed for over, you know, eight, nine, ten, maybe ten years in, in point sparring, but you know, point sparring and a professional MMA fight, these are just like completely, you know, ends of the spectrum, you know, from here to here. And so yes, I took my pro debut with no amateur MMA fights, but I did have amateur fights. I had amateur kickboxing, I did grappling tournaments, I did point sparring tournaments but no amateur MMA. And so, yes, you know, Donald did help me. And it was just kind of like a fluke the way it happened because it was supposed to be an amateur MMA fight. And I had been training for it probably, I want to say, like, three – I want to say, like, four or five weeks I was training for this amateur MMA fight, learning – you know my grappling skills and trying to, you know, it was just like I was just excited to get in the cage. Honestly, I didn't care, you know, what it was. I just was excited. The thrill of something new was just really exciting for me. And I, I, I think it was like two weeks before my the fight, and my opponent fell through. And and that was really uh, common. It's it's really common for amateur circuit, and it's really common just getting into professional fighting. And when I was fighting it was even more common because there aren't very many girls, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the in in the sport. And so my opponent fell through. And the only opponent that they had available for me was this girl who was already professional. She was like a 2-0 fighter. And they're like, hey, this is what we got. Take it or leave it. And I was like, I've been training so hard. And I'm <laughs> so excited for this. You know, and I, I think Donald helped in the sense where he was kind of just like, F it, just do it, you know. And mm-hmm. I was like, you're right. You're right. What makes it any different? You know it makes a difference? It's two minutes. So in, in amateur MMA, you have three minutes. And in professional MMA, you have five minutes. And I think that's just more helpful for an individual depending on their style, you know? And so I was like, let's do it. Let's, let's go.
1: <laughs> you seem so kind and so nice all the time. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, a fighter would be more, not mean, but I guess less... Smiley. So, Do you have like hidden rage or something inside you? Like I know you were on the show Bully Beatdown where you kind of beat the hell out of a bully. Were you bullied growing up and you're like, okay, I'm going to play nice now. But if it comes to blows, I'm going to beat the hell out of you.
3: Um, I think that it is, I don't know if, it, if a phase is the right word for it or, or what, but I think that being bullied is something that happens. It's like a natural occurrence, because we're human, you know, and, and I think just as humans, it, it, it becomes a pecking order of sorts for children to kind of figure out where they lie. And I honestly, I think that it is just a part of uh, everybody's journey to be bullied and, and to find their voice right to find their voice to find their confidence so that they don't get bullied and I think that and I, I think that it is a central part of life to understand where your voice is to find your voice and if you've if you never put in a confrontational situation you're never going to understand what it is to find your voice to, to fight to stand your ground and so yeah I think that I was probably bullied when I was younger I think everybody's bullied when they're younger and it, it's really on how you decide to to approach those situations, um, the type of person you become. But that being said, I also think that fighting, if you don't know very many fighters, it's, you know, I, I could see where you would correlate being aggressive and kind of being a bully or, or being bullied would turn somebody into a fighter. But the kindest souls that I've ever met on the in this world have been fighters. And I think a part of that is because they have an outlet to release all of their pent up anger and they've also been humbled <laughs> like you you know i mean i think it's as simple as that it's like you can think you're the biggest baddest like you know dog on the block until you run into that guy and in fighting there's always going to be somebody bigger and badder than you you know yeah. and so it, i really do i believe that it humbles you and it, it makes you think twice before you go opening your mouth and 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 start barking down the wrong tree
1: is it hard for you to stay humble now because you are so popular though? I mean, you're called the Karate Hottie mm-hmm. and I feel like you have 800 more 1000 followers than the person next in line to you in terms of popularity. Maybe Ronda Rousey would have you beat, but that's about it.
3: I you know, I I don't think it's hard to be humble because like I said, in 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 the fighter's world, like uh actions speak louder than words and there there's there's always somebody bigger and better than you. That will will take you down, and I think that that reality check every day is uh, humbling enough. I think it's kind of uh, surreal. I mean, if you're gonna talk about that it, in, in terms of like how many people know me, and just like how many strangers like know you know know my face, and have under and and know my family, and, and know all the things that we're doing. I think it, it is kind of surreal in that sense because people people be like, oh yeah, you know, you guys just went on a camping trip, and I'm like, oh my god, how do these <laughs> people know? And then I have to remember, like, oh yeah. Like I've opened up my my life. For the world to see. Uh and I, I think that's cool. I think if you can utilize social media and and being able to and your you know and your influence in, in the positive direction to where you're being transparent and connecting with people that you normally would never connect with. I think that's w- what the true meaning of, of social media was was meant for. I mean I I feel like it's become this whole different monster. Mm-hmm. Um but it's a tool just yeah. like anything else just like money is a tool you know just like our voice is a tool just like my hands are a tool and i can i can use it how how i see fit and and you know social media for me is how i try to try to be as real as possible and and stay connected
1: with you have an eight or is it a daughter, she eight, 9 year old daughter Area? she eight she's nine now she's nine yes yeah. so you i feel like whether you're winning or losing in a fight and i'm not sure if this is actually a thing i feel like your skin puffs up and appears like you're more hurt than you are does yeah. That, how does that affect Aurea constantly seeing her mom mm. in the middle of a fight just banged and bruised?
3: Yeah, I, I think that she's used to it. You know, she grew up in the gym. She's used to seeing me banged and bruised. And uh, I think it was, it, it was a bit hard for her to grasp at first, especially when she was younger. I think the first time she saw me really banged up was when I lost my belt in an in Invicta. And she just kept staring at me. My eye was completely swollen shut and purple. She was just staring at me you know, like she didn't recognize me. And um, she just was confused. She didn't understand what was going on. And um, she was sad. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told her I was fine. I remember having a conversation with her. She was like, we were all sitting there. And it was just so fresh because I had just lost, you know, we're in the back of the locker room. There's still media for me to go do. But she just kept staring at me and she like, it it was like, she didn't recognize me. And I remember crying and telling her that I was okay. I was like, mommy's okay. I'm fine. I don't look fine. (laughs) My face hurts and you know, my face hurts. Um, but I'm okay. You know, this, this will go away, you know? And and I want to say, I'm pretty honest with her when it comes to how I'm feeling, you know? So, and I remember telling her like this, this doesn't hurt. You know, my heart hurts. I told her, but I'll be okay.
1: Do you find it it's less pain when you win? I know that's kind of a dumb question, but does it, does it actually hurt less? Like,
3: Absolutely. Yeah. And I always tell people, you know, no matter what kind of bumps and bruises you get, it always hurts less when you win. It doesn't matter. You know, you're like, yeah, I got a big old black eye, but I won, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you don't care. So yeah, it does definitely hurt less when you win.
0: I think of you know, any woman when you get pregnant and then when you have your baby, it's gonna impact your career no matter what. Now, when you fight, it's gonna impact your career in a different way because you're an athlete and you rely on your body to win. You rely on your body to make you your money, right? So yeah. were you nervous when you got pregnant in regards to your career? Like how did that come into play? Were you planning on a pregnancy? Did you plan on taking time off?
3: The pregnancy definitely wasn't planned, but Josh was, is is my soulmate, you know, mm-hmm. and so you know when we when we found out we we're pregnant, in in a the, the sense, it was like okay, you know, it's because because it's because we're having a baby. I'm having a baby with somebody that I know I want to be with for the rest of my life, and 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 so everything else kind of like was going to be able to like solve itself, you know, eventually, but I, I was, I was scared. I was nervous. I was depressed. I talk a lot about postpartum depression, but I think I was more depressed when I was pregnant. And and that's not to say that um, I didn't enjoy my pregnancy because I absolutely did. I love, you know, feeling her grow inside of me. I loved connecting with her in a way that nobody else could. Um, I loved doing my belly dancing uh, routines for, for my labor and, and learning all that stuff, but I couldn't help but feel that I, my career was just slipping through my fingers, and I was watching everybody else learn and grow and improve and take fights and, and contracts, and and here I am just growing, growing this way. <laughs> <laughs> And so um, I just there was so many unknowns. There was not very many mothers that um, were able that were successful after fighting. There were very. um, It was kind of one of those things like oh, like once you get pregnant, you kind of just that that that's what becomes your life after after you fight. And um, it was scary. It was scary to think that I I didn't know what I what to expect. I didn't know what my life was going to look like after I had a raya.
0: And in the states, because I know prenatal depression is actually a huge thing and it's it's really common and people don't give postpartum depression prenatal depression enough talk like there's so much stigma on it especially when you are pregnant because everybody's like oh it's such a beautiful phase and everything like that and being essentially self-employed as a fighter like were you able to get help for that throughout your pregnancy or were you kind of on your own
3: um you know, when I, I met this doula out here, who was who was an amazing doula. And she's just like this older hippie lady that <laughs> she helped us get through the process through art. And, and I remember just kind of not really thinking much about it, but just expressing my feelings in this piece of artwork that I had done. And it was just it was, and I, I you know, I did, I felt guilty at times for feeling that way, like mm-hmm. how selfish of me to, to feel like, you know, I'm I'm growing this beautiful baby within me and I'm a hero here thinking about me. And I realized that there was no shame in feeling those ways, like to not shy away from those feelings, but to express those feelings because they just are. They're just feelings. And, and, and you can feel a certain way that it doesn't embody who you are. It's just the way you feel. And it's a moment in time. And so we, you know, I remember making this drawing of of this baby growing inside of me, this life inside of me, but then me, myself dying, you know, and, and, and just, just drawing that and kind of just getting it out on paper and, and expressing that, expressing how I was feeling. And then looking at it, I realized that that's how I was feeling at the moment, but it was, it was just, A moment in time because Mm -hmm. it was not it wasn't me dying it was just a new chapter in my life it was like a rebirth it wasn't Mm -hmm. just a rebirth a a new birth for my daughter it was a rebirth of who I was
0: Mm -hmm. well I think that's so important to note because pregnancy and childbirth is a total metamorphosis of every aspect I think of a woman like physically mentally emotionally and you are born as a totally new person so when you were preparing for that birth, like for your own birth as a mother, were you also preparing in any way for maintaining your career? Or was it like, let's take it slow, see what happens? Or did you have a fitness plan to get started back up into?
3: I didn't. I, I, um, and to be honest with you, once when I had Araya, like there, the, the, the idea, the thought of fighting wasn't in my mind. I, I you know I had no ambition to 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 get back into the cage. I was so in love with Aurelia and all I wanted to do was be a mother. I would you know I I could spend hours just staring at her while she was sleeping or she, you know I would I would you know I would rock her to sleep and, and and fall asleep with her every night and and just feel her warmth and and smell that new baby smell and You know, nothing else really mattered. Um, And I I allowed myself to feel that way. And so I want to say that I was like that for probably the first three or four months where I was just like so in love with being a mother and nothing else mattered. And I think as time passed, I started to realize that I could be a mother and not lose myself Mm -hmm. in the process like and I also realized how important it was for me to still have individual goals outside of being a mother and I think that just comes from seeing people in my life not people that were close to me allow uh, parenthood to consume them and and lose themselves in the process and uh my dad used to always tell me that actions spoke louder than words. And I think that it's, that's super important for, I can sit here and tell my daughter to go after her dreams, to do this and to do that. But who who am I to tell her those things if I like, give up, if I gave up on my dreams? And I was still, I was still hungry. I was I was still, I, I was still curious to see how far I could go in my fight career. And, and, and then so, and so I did, and it was probably around, Months three or four that I started getting that itch and I realized that I could handle it. No, that's what we're, that's what us as women are made to do. We're, we're, we're made to have to, to, to bear children. We're, 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 we're made to raise our children. I, I actually, I found a new fire within me and it was like a decision I had to make. I think remember sitting down and thinking to myself, well, now I'm a mother. And I'm responsible for this, this human being for the rest of my life. If I'm going to continue to fight, um, it has to be worth it. I, I, I can't put myself in danger just, just for the sake of it, just because mm-hmm. I like to do it, just because I like to get punched and punch people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like, I have to make a career out of this in order for it to, to make sense. Mm-hmm. And, and I know I can. And so just in, in in the belief that I had in that and in, in, in the team that I had behind me, we went for it. And um, my first fight back um, was at 105. I was still breastfeeding. Araya was 10 months. Wow. And um, and it was great. It, 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 you know, I, I, I forgot what it was like to get punched in the face because, you know, sparring, punching is different from like real fight punch, get punched in the face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I remember being in the cage with her. Well, I mean, this might be too much information, but like I said, I was still breastfeeding. And so I I remember being in the locker room and just my tear ducts like filling with milk and being like, oh, crap, like she's hungry. You know, so like I had to like call calling Josh and saying, hey, can you bring her back here? I'm going to feed her real quick before I go out there. So he brought her back and I I milked myself. and And then we went to a fight.
1: And you won that fight or lost?
3: I won. I won oh, the fight, amazing. but like I was saying, like we, we were in there, and I remember just it was kind of surreal. I was excited to be in there. It was like a fresh, you know, it was fresh again because it had been mm. so long since I fought. And I remember, boom, she like cracked me straight in, the, like mm. square in the face, and um, just kind of getting knocked back. Uh, it wasn't a knockout, but it was enough to wake me up. And I was like, mm. oh, oh that's what it feels like to, to, to get hit. And then it it woke me up really. And then I was like, okay, now I'm ready. Let's go.
1: (laughs) What is more painful? I'm so curious about the physical journey of not only a fighter, but even a mom in childbirth and you have the experience of being hit and giving birth. What's worse being in a fight or giving birth pain wise?
3: You know, um, labor was, was the biggest fight of my life. It's like a longer, like a longer pain you know and it's one of those pains that like you 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 can't escape it like in, in fighting there is an option you know obviously those are the options that i never allow myself to take of of tapping of of being saved by the ref of somebody stepping in and say okay that's enough but in labor you cannot escape that pain like it is there and it is in your face and you have to deal with it like it's part of the journey you have to deal with those pains
1: you can't tap out <laughs>
3: You can't tap out, you know. You gotta, you gotta work through it. And 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 I loved that. I um, at, at times there were there were times when I wanted to tap out. There were times when I was telling Josh like, I think I need the drugs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I need the drugs, you know. And he was like, "But you wanted. This is what you wanted, babe. Let's do like one contraction at a time." What he kept telling me. Okay, let's just let's just get through this contraction and then see see if you still want those drugs. And he told me that I don't know how oh. many times.
1: <laughs> so you went no drugs the whole time?
3: Uh, no drugs, wow. nothing, not even an IV. You know, I was probably in labor for uh, you know, I probably labored at home for a good 8 hours and then I labored in the hospital for probably another, you know, 12 to 16 hours. Oh, um, Michelle, and, I took yeah, all the drugs. We, we- <laughs> and it, then that's fine and it you know i always tell all my friends and you know anybody that i talk to that as long as the outcome is the same as long as you have a beautiful baby and and, mm-hmm. and you're able to connect with that baby that's all that matters you know mm-hmm. and and that's what my doula told me too because she was like one of those hippie ladies that was like all gung-ho like and you know before she had children she was a doula and she would she would kind of harp on those on those girls that you know, did had the C-sections and had the drug and then she had her first baby and there was all these complications and she ended up having to do the drug and have a C-section because there were complications and it just didn't pan out the way that she had imagined in her mind. And Mm -hmm. she realized like all this time she was casting judgment on these moms to be when the truth is, as long as you have the baby and that you're able to connect with that baby, that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. And, and when she said that, it was like, I think it was freeing for her but also for everybody else in the room to understand that like to each its own it's like your own individual journey
0: no i i absolutely agree and I'm so curious, too, because your experience is so unique, and even just like having to essentially milk yourself before a fight is so fascinating, because your physiology does change so much. Like even you know the relaxant that's in your body, and it's causing things to hurt, it's causing joints to move, even after you've given birth. So how did your physiology change after you had arerrhea, and how hard was it to get back in a fighting shape?
3: Um, I, my body did change quite a bit. I, I became more vascular and you're talking about like your joints kind of separating mm-hmm. and, you know, to allow you to have birth, you know, I'm yeah. all- <laughs> 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 but, uh um- It's true. You know, before I fought, I would always I would run for my cardio. That's how I lost weight. But it hurt so badly on my joints and it. And it just wasn't healthy. I felt like something was going to pop out of place because Mm. I felt like my joints were still floating around. And so for cardio coming back into into the fight world, I would swim and that was my cardio. And I would get up super early in the morning when Araya was still sleeping and and then go swim and then come back and and, and, then do the rest of all that stuff. And I think the body is just so amazing because it'll adapt to whatever you you put in front of it. And for sure, I was super sensitive in the chest area. First coming back, anytime I would get hit, Mm -hmm. it it hurt really bad. But my body just got used to it. And it understood when I was going into training that it it just didn't, didn't produce the milk when I would train, but it would produce when it needed to it was the weirdest thing but I I breastfed Araya up until she was about I think like a year and a half like 18 months Mm -hmm. I I breastfed Araya and you know I I was still training and fighting and so it was like my body didn't stop producing because I was fighting so
0: no I think I think it's so interesting especially for me like I'm by no means a pro athlete but I like to run and I like to work out and like I saw your photo on the Sports Illustrated body issue Michelle and like you have a physique like you are so toned, you are so you're just like if somebody was carving a statue of a woman in ancient Greece right that's you and then I can barely get through a run so I look at somebody like you and I'm like how the hell do they do it and how do you stop yourself from getting so hard on yourself because it is difficult. And like, I'll come home from a run and I'll be like, oh man, like I peed my pants a little bit. I was barely able to run and I get so down. So how do you stop yourself from getting down during those training sessions?
3: Because I understand that those are just moments in time, you know, like, it's just a, um, like even, even a win, like even a win, it's like, you're on the highest of highs, right? You're I'm on the stage where millions of people are watching me and I'm getting my hand raised and it's just like so exhilarating and and you're on this natural high right but how many times have you reached your goal have you have you done something so amazing and you feel amazing and it's and th- that feeling goes away within what is it 10 15 seconds you know maybe maybe longer i would yeah a couple minutes you know but then you're like shot back to reality but then when something negative happens it's like why do we harp on it and why do we hold it You know, hold it in our heart, and why did why does it weigh us down? I feel like we have to treat both both emotions the same as as, I guess as a moment in time, as like a snapshot of of that of that moment. And I think you just you have to understand those as as the process, Mm -hmm. and to not ignore those feelings, but to allow them to process and to, to to get through on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that helps any. No, it does, yeah, it does. I also think that, you know, embracing those things that we beat ourselves up about, you know, our stretch marks, our love handles, you know, the, the things... The ways that we have changed because of motherhood, because of age, because of time—those are also, in my opinion, uh, battle scars. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and battle scars that I wear proudly. You know, my stretch marks. You know, on my breasts, on my hips. That was me. You know, growing a human in my body. You know, <laughs> yeah. like a guy can't say that. Like you, a guy can't have. We'll never be able to have those battle scars. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. um, and so. You know when you do pee yourself a little bit because. <laughs>
2: because be proud. Should,
3: yes, be proud. Woman. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All those things, like, you know, I, I have scars, cauliflower from fighting, I've broken my nose four times, I, I've broken my hands four times. And, you know, these things, and, and even the way my body is, because I'm a fighter, I'm, I'm really square, you know, I my boobs aren't that big. And, and I have a wide back, it's hard for me to fit in certain uh, jackets and dresses. But I used to get down on myself about those things, but then I realized like I've built my body into a fighting machine. Mm. Like it is not my body isn't meant to look good in dresses. My body is meant to punch people in the face. (laughs) (laughs)
1: No it is a process and it's such a process once you go through having a kid to the recovery. And I've heard in past interviews that you wanted to have another child. And that maybe that would be that would mark the end of your career. But there's been so much in medical advancements, and like a guy like LeBron James, he's one of the oldest players in the league. He's the best player in the league. Uh, Vince Carter playing into his forties. Tom, Tom Brady, of course. Do you look at it differently now? Like, hey, maybe I could have a kid and come back and still fight.
3: Not at this at this moment in in time. Like, if I'm just being completely honest, yeah. like I wish I I, I wish that it. That it was that way that I could continue to fight, but fighting is such a short lived career, anyways. Um, that uh, you know, so you got to think about okay, would take me it take me out 10 months just the the growing the baby process, and then I gave myself 10 months to get uh, to get back into shape for my last fight. So that's that's 20 months close to two years Mm -hmm. out. I'm 34 now you know, and so I just, I guess how I've wrapped my head around it is that I've been fighting for a very long time. I've been fighting since I, you know, I would have been doing martial arts since I was a a kiddo, since I was 10. I've been fighting, you know, fighting has been my career for the last 13, 14 years. For me, how I've wrapped my head around it is that, uh, and, and maybe that's partially why my fight happened the way it did in this last go around, is that, I don't want to like peter out and just kind of like fade away. I don't want that to be the legacy I leave, you know, as a fighter. I want to fuck it. Sorry. You I want to, I, I, I want to go out with the bang. I want to go out there knowing that I left it all in the cage, you know? And, um, and then when I, when I do have another kid, I want to be able to pursue other, other passions of mine and, and, and give it as much, energy as I have
0: been able to give my fight career.
1: Okay, Michelle, we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know that we are supported by
0: Mumgree. Mumgree is a plant-based snack food company that uses only the good stuff. They offer delicious natural nut butters made in three varieties. You've got smooth peanut butter, chocolate peanut butter, and the first ever and insanely delicious pistachio chocolate almond butter
1: do you know how you know it's good how when beyonce puts it on a list
0: beyonce put this on a list yeah
1: i told you that earlier oh my god! don't play dumb on air
0: (laughs) i actually forgot (laughs) really that's insane if it's good enough for beyonce it's good enough for the cunningham household but
1: you were eating this
0: oh throughout my pregnancy and still and it's really cool because mumgree prioritizes the dietary needs of moms throughout every stage of motherhood so pre-pregnancy pregnancy pregnancy, postpartum and beyond they're good for everyone, especially moms, and they've got all of your main nutrients that you need for pregnancy covered. Well, for covered. you,
1: you were what was it? The kid was lactose, and what happened?
0: Oh, breastfeeding, Betty was like basically lactose intolerant.
1: Mm-hmm. So you had to use the mumgri, and then it became like an obsession almost.
0: Oh, it's an obsession. My favorite way to eat mumgri is you slice open a date take out the pit, stuff it full of mumgree, and then put a little Himalayan pink salt on top, it will change your world.
1: I won't lie. I know it's called mumgree, but dad got dadgree and he ate some too. And (laughs) I think it's delicious.
0: (laughs) So check them out at mumgree.com. That's M-U-M-G-R-Y. And use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off all of the nut butters. Again, that is mumgree.com and promo code thisfamilytree10.
1: And my recommendation is buy this in bulk, buy it in bulk, saying it once, (laughs) saying it twice. But we are also supported by
0: Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. They believe in quality over quantity and have like the best basics ever for your littles. They're fashionable wardrobe staples that are so soft, so comfy, and so timeless and they can be passed down from kid to kid regardless of gender. Oh, it's
1: the clothing you wish you had for yourself and I find that's the clothing you want to buy for your kids.
0: I am dying for Mini Miosh to extend into adult wear, but they do have exciting news they just launched their knit collection which includes organic merino wool upcycled polar fleece and sherpa fleece and in the next two weeks they're launching the fan favorite fleece varsity and biker rompers get your hands on them mini miyosh is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it and they believe that every little bit counts so go find the company at mini that's m-i-n-i-m-i-o-c-h-e or at Mini on Instagram and Facebook. If you use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15, you're gonna get fifteen percent off your order. Again, that is MiniMiash.com and ThisFamilyTree15.
1: All right, but now let's get back to Michelle Watterson. I was looking at a, a meme on the internet today, or I don't know what. Maybe it's not a meme. It was just something on the internet. It had Danny Green. Uh, who played for the Lakers, and he didn't have a particularly great series. It was saying he made $15 million this year not having a great season. And then it showed the WNBA <sighs> paid out $12 million to their female athletes. In your sport, are you making what you consider fair pay? And if not, what do you think should and could be done about that?
3: Man, that just hurt my heart talking about all those numbers. Yeah. You know, it, it, what I would say is that I think MMA in general... Needs to get paid more, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's such a young sport that it's it, it will happen. I just um, and hopefully, you know, in my in in my generation, in my time as as a professional fighter, it will happen because, you know, I, when I first started fighting, Dana White would you know was so adamant about women never even stepping inside and in, in inside the octagon, and and now he you know he sees the passion that the girls bring. He sees he Dana White is a fight fan and he he now sees and appreciates women as as athletes because he sees that we bring it like he mm-hmm. knows like if he didn't if he didn't believe it he wouldn't have put you know uh Angela and I as main event you know I, you know in place of heavyweight. and we brought it like we brought it. it and a lot of times when somebody gets bumped up to main event they don't take the five rounds because they, they're not they're not confident we took it we took the five rounds. We said you're gonna make us main event. We're gonna do five rounds, you know. And so it, it is. It is disheartening uh, to hear those numbers. But I just think that MMA is such a young sport, and I think the problem is there are so many young, hungry athletes that don't understand the business side of it, and they just they just fight for passion, yeah. and and they don't realize that they're undercut. They're they're basically shooting themselves in the foot by undercutting. You know the other athletes. When an athlete is trying to like hold their ground and and make more money, and another athlete comes in and says, "Well, I'll do it for less," they're just mm-hmm. shooting themselves in the foot. You know they need this. We we all need to come together and unite and understand that. You know, fighting is a very short lived career. What are you going to do with yourself when you're done fighting, you know, and it is not the safest career either, you know, it's a combat sport, we're getting hit in the head, and we're taking damage to our body that is going to have long lasting effects. Mm -hmm. And you can sit here and tell me that you have the heart of a fighter, but you need to have the brains of somebody that can see, you have to be smart, you Mm -hmm. and You have to understand that in this small window of opportunity, you have to take all this stuff that you've made in this small window and spread it out throughout the span of your life. And I think when more people start opening their eyes to that and stop undercutting each other and start understanding that, yeah, like when we step in the cage, we're enemies, whatever, but outside the octagon, we have to be on the same team because, you know, like there's very few of us that are in this caliber. But what I, what I, What I can say is I think that the UFC does an amazing job at giving the respect that is due per athlete. They don't, you know, obviously I do think that the boys make more than the girls, but you know, the girls are on the same playing field as the guys. If you show up and if you come to fight, they will give you the opportunity. They will give you the platform to excel. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. like, like I said, they put me and Angela to headline a show that the heavyweights were once headlining. And it's because they gave us that respect as athletes. Yeah. And so I, I do think the UFC does a great job as far as like equality in that sense. It's like you mm-hmm. guys, like there is equality across the board. When If you bring it and if you show us that you're here to fight, we will give you a platform to fight.
1: That's great to hear. And my, mm-hmm. my last question is, when is the next baby going to happen, and what will you do after that baby comes, and presumably your career moves on to a, a different path?
3: I I think I probably have a good two years left in me to uh, as a fighter, and 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 then I struggle with that answer a lot because I have been getting baby fever quite a bit, and I remember after having Araya telling Josh like I do want more, and he was like like hell bent on. Like we don't need more. We don't need more. You know, because he's just in love with Arayan. Yeah, he's con- he's content with just having her. I remember telling him, okay, like if if we don't have a baby by thirty five, we don't have to have any. You know, yeah. I remember telling. I'm ter- I'm turning thirty five next year. Yeah. You know, and so I struggled with that, gotcha. and I remember just being kind of like torn and stuck in the middle with that because I, like I'm I'm usually like I, I keep my word. You know, I remember being at a Tony Robbins event and just kind of a lot of those times like it was a breakthrough for me because Sarah Blakely who's the owner of Spanx and her husband met later on in her life and they had children a lot later too Mm -hmm. and I remember just like falling crying and just looking at Josh and him looking at me and saying like we can have more kids babe like don't feel like you have to rush yourself Mm -hmm. and then I I was like Thinking. and I was like okay like because I felt like I had to choose like mm-hmm. did I have to choose between my career that I still felt like un- undone or having more children yeah and I was like if I have to choose I'm gonna feel like I, I left something behind you know yeah. and when-, when he said don't worry like we well we could have more kids you're healthy you know and then I was like okay like
0: <laughs> I'm gonna go I'm, like, I'm freaking <laughs> do both then you know no for sure and michelle it's funny because i think that shane and i hanging out with you guys in Araya for that time in mexico helped influence us to have a kid because we got pregnant like three months later and we loved hanging with your family (laughs) but we are going to let you go and where can people find you online where they where can they keep up with your fighting your story things like that
3: Um, I'm probably the most active on my Instagram. And so it's karate hottie MMA. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm the most active. I think that um, lately, I've been trying to, I don't know, that's where the most active, I guess I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Sometimes social media can be exhausting. Oh, and yeah. so uh, a lot of times I'll take breaks, like little breaks from it here and there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's where I'm the most
0: active is this Karate Hadi MMA. Amazing. Michelle, thank you so much for your time today. We love sitting back down with you again and all the best with everything with Araya, with the fighting, everything. And I
1: guess we'll see you at Sean's wedding yeah. next.
0: <laughs> I know. If I we're
1: know. ever out of the I pandemic. <laughs>
3: It it will will come out of it soon. It'll probably be right after the elections. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye, Michelle. You Thank later, you so Michelle. much. Really appreciate it.
0: Take care. Thanks, guys. That was so much fun. See, I loved even just catching up with her again because it's been over three years since we spent time with them in Mexico, and that was just so much fun. And then I got to see a side of her personality that I didn't see obviously when we were partying up for the engagement thing, and talking to her about motherhood and the struggles that she had postpartum that that hit me hard and I I really enjoyed kind of hearing that from her perspective
1: but let's go to our next interview with Sarah Edmondson and this one as I said in the intro I had to sit out for a bit so you had to take the reins and you're uh, I haven't edited this one so is it a good interview
0: I think it's good again I wish I had like three more hours with Sarah and then it would have been really good
1: yeah S was hitting the fan
0: it was. It was.
1: But now, it, it, S stands for shit.
0: It is a good one, and yeah.
1: Let's not waste any more time. Let's get to this interview with Sarah Edmondson. But first, Alex, tell everyone who we are supported by.
0: We are supported by Hello Bello. Shane, being a parent, I don't have to tell you is. Hard, like really hard. Speak for yourself. It's a piece <laughs> of cake for
1: old Shaney boy.
0: So, when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as hard as obviously I'm experiencing.
1: You know, I'm the biggest Hella Bella fan, so you're preaching to the choir. <laughs>
0: Co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard, Hello Bello is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at really affordable prices.
1: You know what I say to people who aren't using Hello Bell?
0: What do you say? Try it. Try it. And you can try it with their diaper bundling service that lets you choose from over 20 different fun rotating designs with like really, really adorable. The designs
1: are rotating?
0: well yeah i've never seen that (laughs) no they rotate throughout the year so like depending on the season you can choose different diapers oh
1: they change
0: they change but Ah, they rotate
1: i'm not the smartest man in the world continue
0: (laughs) each diaper bundle comes with seven packs of diapers four packs of plant-based wipes and even one full-size product freebie with your first order plus you can get 15 percent off any add-ons like bubble bath wipes or our personal favorite the diaper rash cream
1: and it works like a dang charm.
0: It does. It's amazing. So to get Hello Bello super soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree30 for 30% off your diaper bundle order. That's a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowout saved. That's hellobello.ca promo code thisfamilytree30 to start bundling 30% off your first order.
1: Don't forget, hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree, 30, not an audible typo. It's actually 30% off. I almost needed Hello Bello diapers myself when I heard that.
0: (laughs) And this promo is applicable only to Canadians.
1: But we are also supported by...
0: My Breast Friend. My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies.
1: But breast is spelled B-R-E-A-S-T, right?
0: B-R-E-S-T. What? And you don't even need a breast to nurse your baby. Shane, you use the My Breast Friend nursing pillow when you would bottle feed Lucy.
1: What?
0: <laughs> but for more than 25 years, My Breast Friend's patented wrap-round design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing.
1: But don't take our word for it. Look it up. It's number one. It's the number one pillow out there.
0: And ask any lactation consultant you know because Consultants all around the world credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and way more comfortable feeding cycles than they even thought were possible.
1: I know 20 lactation consultants and all of them <laughs> said, yes, my breastfriend <laughs> is the way to go.
0: It's simply the best, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. You can purchase my breastfriend online at ByeByeBaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, and amazon.com. It is everywhere.
1: And if it seems like we're going out of our way to get you guys the best stuff and bring it to your attention, it's because we are. Everything we're talking about here is because we went out and sought out the best and stuff we actually believe in. But speaking of believing in things, let's get to our interview with Sarah Edmondson.
0: Sarah, thank you so much for sitting down with us. I've been so excited for this conversation since you and I were texting, what, last week or two weeks ago about setting this up. So this is really great. Shane and I have been so into The Vow lately. I devoured your book and- Devour,
1: Devoured. Devoured it.
0: No, but it was, it was it's so Vow. fascinating. Oh, good. Um, But- for those who, you know, this might be their first introduction to you, in a sentence or two, what is it that happened to you? Well,
4: I, I've actually had, had to learn how to do this because it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot. But what I say now is that I was part of a group that was great and I thought was really wonderful. And then I realized it wasn't. And when uh, we figured out what it was really, we decided to be
0: whistleblowers and expose mm-hmm. it. And now the leader of the group's in jail and you call it a cult. So this is Nexium and the leader that is sitting in jail is Keith Raniere. And right. this is something that you were involved with for over a decade of your life. You worked there. You had your closest relationships within that. Like Nexium became and its offshoot programs. Your life And I have to say, reading the book, there's so many points where I'm like, Sarah, don't do it. Don't do it. This is a red flag. Oh, my God. And I I know how it ends. What red flags do you see writing your book and looking back that are just hallmarks of cults or abusive relationships? Oh,
4: man, there's so many. But what I know now and one of the reasons why I wrote the book and continue to be public is I want to take those red flags and give them as a template to other people. And before I do, I have to say, bye, babe, break a leg. Love you. Okay, Nippy's going to an audition. Oh.
1: <laughs>
4: this is my life. It's happening. Good luck, Nippy.
1: <laughs> is that is that his real name? Nippy is that a real name?
4: It's not his real name. He was born Anthony Nippert Ames. His middle name is Nippert, and when his when he was a baby, his family thought it'd be cute to call him Nippy, and, it's and stuck. he didn't. Stop. It just stuck. He didn't actually know his name it was Anthony until he was seven. No way. Wow. Still, I've never heard yeah. of Nippert as even a middle name. Never heard that name before. But
1: sorry, I had to ask. It's, it's Continue. A,
4: it's a family name. It was his mother's maiden name. Oh, so wow. there You're you nice. go. Yeah. And Nipper, Nippy's off to his audition. Break a leg, babe. I'll see you in a bit. Good luck. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of red flags that I, you know, I know now. And now that I've done research on how cults or high control groups work, you know, one of them is you know, leader that's that's charismatic and, and everyone, you know, literally bows down to and that you can't question. And is also the most important thing is that they're they're accountable to nobody. There's no governing board around him. There's no checks and balances. There's no way to ever say, I'm not okay with this, um, whatever it is, without it being thrown back in your face as your issue, which is also known as gaslighting. Um, gaslighting is now a pretty common term, but, you know, 2005 when I started, I'd never heard of it. It's never never spoken about mm-hmm.
1: do, do all cults end up with the leader having sex with a, a lot of people
4: you know what it feels like from the research i've done like 90 percent. there's there's mm-hmm. some deviant sex thing going on behind closed doors and you know another reason why i decided to be public about it is that you know the outside doesn't look like that like if i had known that keith had this polyamorous arrangement with all these women and that was part of his deal I wouldn't have gotten involved and Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things I was really adamant about exposing is that they should have put that on their website he likes to help women through a sexual relationship Mm -hmm. but that was kept from so many of us in the outside who were basically just going we were just recruiters bringing in people for him and he was you know had these relates like sex in and of itself isn't we're diving right in here Mm -hmm. (laughs) like sex in and of itself isn't a problem people have sex like they, they procreate but it, it's the lack of transparency that i had a problem with mm-hmm. relationships with all these women and that's something that i have found with other cults since since doing all this research is that's often one of the problems that's, that's not the only problem he, he was abusive he, he ruined mm-hmm. people's lives and controlled women and sex was a part of that method of control
1: and he probably knew that if he had put that on a website or if that was more forward facing, people like you wouldn't be on board. And you were such an all star recruiter like that was like your superpower was luring. I know that's a negative word, but inviting people into the cult that you didn't know was a cult at the time. And you were like the top recruiter am i right well, at me? one
4: point yeah i mean i wasn't top recruiter the whole time there was always like sales awards but at, at one point in the company i was the top there are other people that, that were the top mm-hmm. it's not really something that i'm like proud of per se but i was good at recruiting and i always have been good at sales you know ever since i was a little girl i've been good at sales and business cards at, at age 12 but i just wish i'd been doing sales for something more legitimate
2: mm-hmm
1: and I know you didn't enter this to uh, for monetary gain, but at one point in the book, you alluded to making a lot of money. Like, how profitable did this become for you?
4: It became very profitable. I mean, the first four years I worked for free. It was an internship, which is where most people get stuck and what Keith sort of relied on. And actually, is one of the reasons there's a lot of labor, it's called forced labor charges, is that he, was, he broke a lot of labor laws. He was getting people to work for free under this internship. Mm-hmm. And using people like me who were good at recruiting as the as the poster children, like, look, you can make a lot of money. But most people didn't. I'm I mean, I made decent money for a good couple of years in the middle before things started to decline. But it was way more than I was ever expecting or could have made as an as a you know aspiring actor. And I was very proud of it. And I felt like, wow, what a bonus. Like I get to help people and bring people into this community and all these naive things mm-hmm. like humanity, which just makes me want to barf now. But we thought that we were doing that, and bonus, I get paid for for that amazing, you know, but uh, I didn't answer your first question fully about the red flags, like the leadership yeah. question I mean that's a huge red flag. I think, gosh, there's so many now. I'm blanking on all of them maybe i'll have to I'll have to come back once my coffee kicks in. No
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to ask, even in your book in the beginning stages, it seemed like you didn't want to be that close to mm-hmm. Keith, like he weirded you out. So you liked the program but even Keith weirded you out early on. What was it about him that turned you off?
4: You know, I don't think I would have been able to uh articulate it at the time. I, I mean, then when people would say to me like, "Oh, why, you know, you're an albany, Why don't you go for a walk with Keith? Or ask Keith for help with your with your projects?" And I remember just thinking like, "I don't I am okay." Like I one of the smartest men in the world. We were all, we were also encouraged not to ask him for things that other people could help you with. So my thinking at the time was like, "Well, I can get help with my coach or like look that up on the internet or whatever. I didn't, I wasn't able to articulate. He grosses me out. I feel Mm -hmm. uncomfortable around him. And also if I'd said that I would have been in trouble. So I I think I just intuitively kept him at a distance. And also I didn't, I never lived in Albany where he lived and he never came to Vancouver. He, he would stay there and I stayed here and I went there for courses. So there was always, you know, an arm's length relationship with Mm -hmm. him.
1: But did he make you nervous too, just because he was the boss? Because sometimes like, I don't know if I always want to hang with my boss in case I step out of line and look a fool, especially if I'm an all-star in a company, right?
4: Absolutely. There's definitely that element. Yeah. I just, I didn't, I didn't feel compelled. Thank God.
0: (laughs) So Keith developed all this curriculum, right? Essentially for leading people to self-actualization and helping them achieve their goals with the idea which he sold to you guys of making the world a better place. And you guys were kind of like the elitist ethics managers. Now, do you think it was actually his goal from the inception of Nexium to take financial power by force and by essentially blackmail and to create a harem? Like, was that always in his mind, do you think?
4: Yeah, I think so. If you look up the word talked about this in the book that Mm -hmm. about word nexium nexium comes from something i looked it up on wikipedia after bonnie pointed this out to me actually she found this first that it means something like debt bondage it actually alludes to um, even branding Mm
1: -hmm. and
4: ventured servitude so keith loved to have double meanings for things you know he told us nexium was comes from the root word of something for a place of gathering or meeting or whatever a community and of course, I never looked that up.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: So many things I took for granted. Oh, he's the smartest man in the world. Never looked that up. I don't know if you saw the episode last week where Nippy was joking about like his resume. He he bragged about being a great, you know, great eleven-year-old uh, judo champion. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a big a, a big accomplishment. Being a judo the judo champion. Anyway, <laughs> it's well,
0: it's funny. All of all of Keith's like all of his teachings, you know, being celibate, being the best version of yourself, being in shape. I know uh, he liked the women that he had sex with to be in and around a hundred pounds, which is ridiculous. And he was, he was none of those things. Like he was so far from his own doctrine. And it seemed to me reading the book and watching the show that he was essentially the ultimate pickup artist. And that's almost all he was. If you were to reduce him to one thing, it would be a pickup artist. And he did that with neg theory. So can you kind of explain what neg theory and negging is?
4: Yeah, I actually didn't know what that was till after I left and I learned about the game, which mm-hmm. is pickup artist, right? Absolutely. Like he, I don't think he could have gotten women in any normal sense, like yeah. just somebody up at the bar. He had to create this whole persona of, you know, based on what other people said, like by the time I met him, he'd been propped up on such a pedestal I I had so much respect for him, but not on what I actually experienced, but what other people said, right? Somebody's at my door. Can we just pause for one second? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I totally forgot that I had a delivery today of the kombucha that I drink. Oh, nice.
1: I was going to say, I hope that is not Keith. Oh, God. Uh, That would be (laughs) freaky if he knew we were talking about him.
4: He's in jail. I'm safe from him.
1: And he's going to be in jail for quite a while, correct?
4: Yeah. I mean, a sentencing comes up in a couple weeks and based on how the judge sentenced Claire Bronfman, it looks like he'll be, I mean, we're all hoping that he gets life in prison. I mean, that would mm-hmm. be a fair and safe thing. But I just to, to go back on the tangent that you had asked uh, about, do I think he planned it? I absolutely think he planned this from the beginning. It, this was not like he just got more and more power in the spirals. One of the women that I spoke to that was in his harem in the early days, and she got out before DOS and she reached out to me and she said, when I described what DOS was like, like the secret women's society, she said, that's what my life was like when I was an ex like when before all that, he kind of just formalized it he, he women were leaving he couldn 't get p- women to stay, so he had to blackmail them in the form of collateral it 's just the same thing it's just different words so he always had women at the beck and call. they had mm-hmm. to be responding to texts and be ready for whenever he wanted sex, I guess, or whatever yeah. he wanted from them so he 's been doing this for a long time it's just now
0: he made it formal and And invited the wrong person. Yeah. (laughs) So I was reading that Lauren had actually purchased a house in Albany, which is where like Keith was kind of headquartered. And it had a sex dungeon in the basement. It came to light that women were getting possibly put in cages and paddled as punishment for not fulfilling Keith's wishes. Now, this all happened under DOS, like under the secret women's program. Was this also happening in the early days when it was just Nexium, just the company? That I don't know. I mean, I know yeah. that there was definitely polyamorous
4: sexual relationships going on before Doss that he had somewhere between twelve and twenty women at his beck and call. This is, and by the way, everything I tell you about the sex is we found out afterwards. That's you know, crazy. we're still finding this stuff out. Like with the trial and, and and people coming forward, it's still coming to light, which is crazy. Like you're watching the vow in real time. I'm watching it in real time and in real time in my life. I'm still dealing. Yeah with stuff there is being sentenced keith is being sentenced in a couple of weeks where st- victims are still coming forward and it just keeps getting worse and worse like nothing would surprise me now
1: was lauren and her mom I I gonna... both having sex with keith
4: that's the it seemed, i mean and lauren we know for sure um nancy's anecdotal i don't know but it, mm-hmm. we, i've heard that at the beginning he was with her right
0: So just because we're on Lauren, you know, you develop so many connections in there. And in the book, whenever you talk about Lauren, especially in the early days, it's you're always hanging out at a work function when you can sneak time in together before or after work. And it just seems like a friendship of convenience, yet you you felt very strongly towards her and you loved her and she was your best friend. But looking on your friendship now, was it actually a loving relationship or she was using you the entire time?
4: I think a bit of both. I think that she mm-hmm. did love me and, and maybe still does. I don't know. We can't talk yet till this is all over. But I think that she wasn't really allowed to have a normal relationship because she couldn't, she couldn't confide in me about what was going on in her love life. She, all these mm-hmm. women were into secrecy about Keith, about their time with Keith. So, you know, you, there's only so much of a friendship you can have if you don't know who they're dating they're having sex with or whatever. But I think that I think the whole company used me, like specifically the higher ranks used me for what I was good at, my superpower. <laughs> you know, that sucks. But I also feel like they used her too. Like she's a bright woman and she got really messed with in the head. And I also sorry, I just realized I didn't answer your negging question. I was uh, I guess the coffee's kicked in. But yeah, negging <laughs> completely, I think like in the dating game where the where the man like teases a woman so that she feels kind of shitty about her. Am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Shitty about herself. And then, so he like, like in some ways wounds her and then make, and then provides the place for her to feel better. So she's wanting his attention. She's Mm -hmm. wanting him to validate her. And absolutely Keith did all that. Like he very actively didn't pursue women himself, just like his name wasn't on all the companies. He didn't, very actively go and call women and say like hey you want to be part of my harem you would get other women to pimp for him essentially and bring women to him so that women were mm-hmm. like Pam would say to me call Keith ask to go for a walk so it would have to be on me and mm-hmm. on top of all that the the entire Nexium curriculum while some of it was good and helpful and so forth ultimately it left all of us with and I think I talked about this in the book that like there's something wrong with me like there's something mm-hmm. I need to work on I have a deficiency and of course ESP is the only place for me to heal that so that's like it's like a grandiose version of negging. he's making us all feel like shit and then being dependent on the company and the tools to keep evolving so mm-hmm. just like he just like a pickup artist would do does that make sense yeah, yeah, no,
0: absolutely. And you mentioned Pam. So Pam, Kaffritz, and then it was Barbara, Barb Jensky. So they were two of, yeah, they were his two closest confidants, right? From very early on. And you were very close to Barb. So I've since read an article. Uh, it was a blog, not an article, uh, by Frank Parlato of the Frank Report, who wrote, you know, who had a damning blog about Nexium for years. And he essentially said that he called them whores and said that I hope they're in hell with the devil effing them from the behind. And it was, it's, yeah, I sent mm-hmm. Shane the link I can send it to you. It's, it's really wild. And then, you know, you essentially called them pimps. <laughs> so is that, are they that evil? Like were they that complicit or do you think that there's redemption in the fact that they may have been brainwashed to a point as well?
4: I think the answer is unfortunately both you know yeah. i think that they were brainwashed and they've been with him they've been with him since they were in their early 20s and went along with him and couldn't see anything outside of his bubble of mind control so i mean brainwash is something like oh it hasn't happened we're all we're all brainwashed we're all indoctrinated and his indoctrination with with them started really young so i don't think that they were like hey, hey we're going to bring women to Keith and it's going to be mm. you know like it's not that kind of evil you know i think it's like i think they really believed that women could overcome their issues with time with him. I think they believed believe that. Do I forgive them? I mean, they're, they're both dead, unfortunately. And it sounds callous, palace. Like, they're, you know, wherever they are, may they rest in peace. But I think, you know, they were victims. And also, I think they were pimps. I think they were uh, wittingly or unwittingly helping him with his sexual appetite. And I do think that Barb was trying to pull away from that and started to wake up to that mm-hmm. towards the end and... You know, there's some theories about why they both got cancer. I originally thought it was something in the water. Then I thought as I started to understand what they were doing, I mean, do you imagine being a woman who's in love with a man who has all these other women and how that would just eat you up inside, you know, I just imagine that they can't be happy and that I mean there's some theories about cancer, not sometimes it's environmental and sometimes it's emotional. Mm-hmm. And I believe that if he didn't cause that in them in terms of an inner turmoil, like that would you're when you go against your own ethics, it, hurt, it it eats you up. It like it, it gnaws at your guts. And so I think that with either that, there's also some theories that some people say that they were poisoned a documentary wow. about that. So I don't know. I, I do know that he spoke to a lot of people about weed, you know, getting rid of the old guard and the older women yes. and then room for the new, the new women. So nice. either way, it's tragic. And that, you know, nobody signed up for what we ended up getting involved with. Nobody, like I didn't sign up for his initials on my body, which by the way, I've had removed since
1: the book. Ah, that was my next question. So is it completely gone?
4: Completely gone, yeah. We had a, this incredible plastic surgeon here in Vancouver. Like if you could imagine it was a square, she cut kind of like an eye shape around it, just took out all that skin and then sewed it up. So it's just a line. Oh, wow.
1: so, so the cover of your book is the actual scar. Did you shoot that with the intention of, oh, this is going on the cover of the book and then I'm going to remove it?
4: No, no. I shot that. That, was, that picture was from the New York Times article. Okay. The woman who shot that is actually taken right, right here in my living room. When we decided to go public, I wasn't thinking about a book or mm-hmm. no idea that you know that we would make a documentary for HBO. Like, all that came much later. I just needed to document it. And they needed physical proof of the abuse, which, like I said mm-hmm. earlier, had been going on for ne- in team for years. And only now I could say, hey – this is real. Like proving emotional abuse is very difficult. Right.
1: Yeah. So besides the branding, uh, the sexual abuse, the mental anguish that everyone went through, what were the positives of being in the cult?
4: Yeah. I mean, lots of positives. Obviously, otherwise I wouldn't have stayed. I had a community it's, and it's hard for me to like transplant myself back to that because it's so negative now. I've got to like, remember, okay, why did I like it? Well, I had a circle of friends that were really close and our, our relationships were very meaningful and deep. You know, we didn't talk about shampoo and partying. It was our growth and our, you know, our, our deepest secrets and dreams. And you don't, you don't just share that with anybody. So to have that community was really meaningful for me. And, you know, I had this, vision of like and I don't really have this anymore so it's hard to remember but like at the time it was all about growth and self-betterment and like being the ideal version of myself but now I'm much softer myself like I am who I am and like the self-love and acceptance but then it was like grow better build blah 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 you know green juice Pilates like it was very intense and that that seemed to be the vehicle to achieve that and in some ways it was it just wasn't built by keith It's just he went around this is my belief and like stole uh these great nuggets and exercises and philosophies from all these different places like right now i'm about to post about this actually i'm starting untethered soul this incredible book have you guys read it no oh, it's really really good i'm only 10 pages in so i, I can't speak for all of it but <laughs> what i've read so far i'm like oh my god these exercises these these thought experiments and, and and emotional journey exercises were the parts about ESP that I liked, about Nexium that I liked. And so for me, part of my healing journey is finding where he took everything from that was positive. So I can still use them. So I'm not like my, you know, my whole twelve years there was in a complete waste.
0: I think of the positives, and obviously, you know, we all said goodbye and good luck to Nippy as he left for his audition, but you did meet your husband through the Nexium programs. And I found it interesting because you were both in these kind of offshoot courses. You were doing Jeunesse, and he was doing SOP, which are, you know, Jeunesse was teaching women, for lack of better words, like I'm probably describing badly, teaching women how to be more powerful in their feminine selves while the SOP program was doing the same for men and, like, kind of reassuring their manliness and how to succeed with that. And then when you step back, you realize that these are incredibly misogynistic teachings and that they're essentially teaching the women to be obedient to the men. And they're telling the men, hey, it's okay if you want to go and sow your seed with tons of women. That's what you were made to do. And you talk in your book about you and Nippy making jokes about obedience, like when you guys were away from everybody and at home. But did these teachings ever creep into your relationship because you guys were so indoctrinated? Absolutely. Like, I, I remember one of the, the things that we
4: thought about was like, trying to figure out how to best set this up, like, I would come home and... Like want to engage in a certain way, like share my day, for example. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I learned, and this is so like 1950s, leave it to beaver. <laughs> Like basically what, I, what, what one of my female mentors taught me in Jeunesse was like, when you come home, that's like, don't burden him with that. Like basically to change my emotional state before I came in. So I literally stand at the door and be like, shake off whatever I was dealing with and be like, hi, honey, you know, how was your day? And yeah, I know. And <laughs> and I remember thinking, wow, like this is what a helpful tool that I can not put this on him. And then we like kind of fought less or like my our evening was better because I entered in a positive way, you know, and that's so like inauthentic, you know. It's so like and 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 now I think what like what I what works for me, like Nippy's super sensitive and he's a he's really a deep thinker and incredibly intelligent and funny as you probably have seen in the Vow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And what I, you know, what, what, you know, like the positive of that for me is that I recognize when I'm dealing with certain things, there's a group of women that are my best friends that I call, you know, and that's, I, I deal with it and I can process that better with my girlfriends. You know, it's not, I'm not going to like change my state. So I don't have to burden him with my emotions. So I'm like trying to find, what worked in that for our relationship and then separate it from like the misogyny. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And do you, do you still use those tools now in your marriage or have you tried to distance yourself from that? No, we, we, we had to
4: like, that, that whole training, we really had to be like, let's just throw that all out and start again. And really, that's been such a blessing for us because we were so busy when we met in Maxim. and you raised to such a silver lining. It's just that we were running around doing trainings and like flying all over the place. We didn't actually get to know each other. So right. part of being out is like, okay, who's this, who's this guy I'm married to? And COVID was really helpful because we really had to stop. And we spent a lot of really good uh, silver lining of covid Namaste. Thank you <laughs> for bringing us together and giving us the time. We just never had it. And I think that's one of the things Keith counted on is he kept us so busy. We didn't go, what am I doing here? What are, like, why am I doing this?
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have any negative associations to Nippy because of where you met and where you came from? And If you do, like how do you work through those? Do you see therapists now or anything like that?
4: I I wouldn't say I have a negative, no negative associations to him. Um, But if anything, yeah, stuff comes up all the time where I'm like, whoa, whoa. Is that, is that like you or is that Keith? Or like, is that, is this my belief about this? Or is that, you know, something I want to hold on to? Like the basic thing they talked about in the, I think it was in one of the episodes of the vow being at cause, right? There's, there's the good of it and the bad of it. And almost all of Keith's teachings, I feel like you, a I but I said before, figuring out where it came from, but like also figuring out what was good and how, how it helps us and then how it was used against us. Let me give you another, another example. Like he would talked about in the very first beginning classes about what needs are and desires. Like what do we actually need survival based and everything else is sort of a desire based on your own feeling of that lack. Right. So if I yeah. feel like I want to connect or I want some sort of attention or whatever with Nippy, the, the training would have said, well, you don't really need that. That's, that's, that's not survival, right? That's just your own desire because you lack self-love. So you're looking for it from him. Right. So that was something that I worked on right away in therapy. And my therapist was like, who was amazing, was like, well, those are needs to survive. What about needs to thrive? Right. To Mm -hmm. thrive in a healthy relationship. Yes. You connect, you give each other attention. You have a type of communication. And I had learned in ESP that if I wanted those things, there was something wrong with me. So I think if anything, it's not a negative thing towards him. I love him. It's more a negative thing towards like relating and figuring out how to communicate and be together in this new structure that's not based on this bullshit dogma. If that Mm -hmm. makes
0: sense. No, absolutely. And okay, so pardon me, because from here, we are looking at you on a little phone, but it looks like you're wearing a key. Are you wearing the key necklace that you got? Yes. Okay. Why are you wear? Why do you wear it? Do you wear it or is that for the interview? No, I do wear it. I, I mean, I alternate between a couple necklaces.
4: So yeah, one of the things about being a, a DOS slave under Lauren is I had to find a necklace that I was going to wear for eternity. <laughs> and I, by the time I, I was only in DOS for like I don't know, six weeks or seven weeks or something. And so I never actually found the necklace. She's like, All you right. can take your time on that. We're just going to brand you, but you can take your time on the necklace. I have to laugh. I'm sorry. I'm in, I'm in the laughing stage, but yes, yeah, she, she said that. And then after I left, I had, I turned 40. But I joined ESP when I was 28, just turning 28. And I left when I was 40. So 12 years of my life, my entire thirties gone. And I had, a, I threw myself a big party. I had 40 people at my favorite restaurant. And one of my girlfriends gave me this um, and another girlfriend gave me another necklace. And both of those, I alternate. And to me, they're the symbol of my own choice of my own necklace Not for Lauren, not for anybody else, not for Keith, but my own choice. This is love. Just my own reminder of what's important to my family and and self-love and the things that I choose for me and that no one else Mm. will
1: Okay, Sarah, we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know that.
0: We're supported by The Bear Home. The Bear Home makes all natural products that are safe for you, your home, and the planet. They have all-purpose cleaners, dish soap, hand soap, laundry detergent, and wool dryer balls.
1: And I said it once, I said it a hundred times, we're going out of our way to only contact companies that we truly believe in. This isn't just some corporation throwing a bunch of money at us. We believe in this product because we love it.
0: No, absolutely. We love it so much, especially love the bergamot and lime scented dish soaps and hand soaps. So if you guys can get your hands on one of those, absolutely do it. Everything smells amazing and are scented using 100% organic essential oils. All the products come in glass bottles, and you can buy convenient at-home refill boxes to keep yourself full up. Refilling reduces, as you guys know, the use of single-use plastics, which is so important to us.
1: Try it. If you don't like it, contact me personally. I'll (laughs) refund you. I will. Just, you gotta send me the product you didn't like.
0: So, Canadian listeners only, if you want to shop biodegradable Canadian-made cleaning products, go to thebearhome.ca and use promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. Again, that is thebearhome.ca and thisfamilytree20.
1: But we are also supported by...
0: Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the world's most luxurious boob holders.
1: You can say that again.
0: Absolutely, and especially for nursing women. Honestly, they are so user-friendly. Honestly, they are so easy to use. They are so comfortable, and they look great. But Bravado Designs has now introduced the Everyday Collection, which has no clips, and you don't have to be a nursing mother to wear them. And you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com, or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the Everyday Collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. So again, that is bravadodesigns.com or ca.bravadodesigns.com. And regardless of the website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off.
1: And someone told us this read was particularly annoying because they hear it so much. But unfortunately, it's going to be here forever because these bras sell so well.
0: Yeah. I'm never going to stop wearing them.
1: And I'm never going to stop reading them. (laughs) But let's get back to our interview with Sarah Edmondson.
0: You know, just thinking about this women's program, DOS. So this was... Headed by a shadowy Keith Raniere. I mean, people didn't know he was involved in this until everything came to light. And he would encourage his own slaves to get more slaves than them to get more slaves. So it was like an an MLM for like kinky – for kinky sex, right? ESM MLM. How about that? So he had this sex dungeon in the basement of a house and he would punish women or women would punish other women – we
4: don't, I, I don't actually work. know about that because that didn't happen to me, but we heard about Kyle, right. that, that the cage had been ordered, whether or not it arrived, I don't know. Um, but I do know that women paddled each other for failing on certain exercises and filmed it and sent those to Keith. I don't think he ever hit anybody, but I don't know, maybe that wouldn't surprise me.
0: And how did they justify that violence? Because even Keith said, you know, in his teachings, he didn't believe in violence, whatever. So how did these women justify hitting their former friends and doing these absurd practices?
4: It's actually one of the things I confronted Lauren about. from of the phone calls between Lauren and I before I left. Well, actually, I had left. She just didn't know that. And I was recording her and trying to get, to get more information from her as to what was actually going on. And I said to her, like, you know and yeah, she's like oh, yeah. it's extreme, and I feel like it's it's like you know training a dog like Pablo you know training them you know and I'm like I think once you 've been in for so long, you can justify anything, and you know there's still people who exist who are they 're called now the nexium five i don 't know if you 've been following us, but they 're still supporters of Keith, and they believe that all of these things they don 't they don 't deny the branding they don 't deny that they were in dos, but they Really believe that it's all for good purpose, all for learning, and all for growth. And Keith has good intent, and he's misunderstood. And who are who are these women? There's uh, two women and three men: uh, Michelle, okay. Hitchett, Nikki Klein, uh, Sunil. I don't know how to say his last name. Eduardo is Solo, and Mark Elliot. Mark Elliot was the one who um, whose Tourette's was cured. In well, cured in, in yeah. F. So he. He's got the most to lose. I think he, if he really admitted that he was wrong, then he might have to like get his tarats back. It's hard. I I Mm -hmm. mean, it's those five people have doubled down in, in and and some of them even attended the trial, so they saw everything. They saw, you know, the under the proof of the underage sex. They saw, um, you know, that Keith performed these like sex acts with women who thought they were coming in, like all these horrendous things, and they've had to just deny all of that, all of those truths and say, these women aren't victims, they chose it and they wanted it.
0: Would they classify rape victims in that as not being victims at all? And, you know, you think of that and you think of the rape culture that we've been living in and it's, oh, well, it's her fault. Look what she was wearing. Look what she was asking for. I, I don't want to speak for them, but they were, they, they would probably say something
4: like, well, they still need to recognize their part in things that what they chose and how they maybe participated. They wouldn't say necessarily, you know, she's wearing a short skirt, so it's her fault, but it would be more tacit. One of the last trainings that we did that's where I started to kind of, I don't think this is in my book, where I started to be like, what? And it's actually in the last episode of The Vow, Keith said that when people s- scream abuse, that they're the real abusers. When they say they've been victimized, it's an abuse. It's like, oh my God. Oh, head fuckery is that? So, the, so it set them up. It set up the whole, all that community for when I left, and I say, hey, this," and I don't see myself as a victim in that way. I, like a, I see myself as a survivor, but a crime was committed right. on me. I'm a victim of a crime, right? When I said that, they said, well, see, she's, she's the real abuser. She's abusing her authority as a green. This is the reason why we need to have DOS, because women can't keep secrets. Like Everything he'd indoctrinated the community with was set up perfectly. So when I left, so many people didn't believe. Many people did believe me, right. but the, the
0: true believers, the
4: people that were close to Keith were like, see? Look at her, indulgent woman.
0: See, I think about you and I think about somebody like Allison Mack, who was like the head of this whole slave master thing with Keith and the the Nexium five who are still behind him. And this was a question from Shane's list, but what kind of people get involved with a cult, get involved with something like this? And who's susceptible? Because he feels like he comes from a home of divorce and that he feels like he might be susceptible to latching onto an idea that he feels like gives him you know something that he maybe didn't grow up with. And so, yeah, what makes somebody susceptible? And
4: that's a great question and I think that there's a big gamut and I think ultimately anybody is susceptible, not necessarily to a cult but like an abusive relationship or a unhealthy um construct in a say a workplace or something with a boss that abuses their power. It's not yeah. this is a these concepts aren't proprietary to cults, but I think Um, And this is something that I've learned from a number of experts, including one whose name is Yanya Lalich, And she she talks about that anyone is vulnerable um, specifically, like, you know, we all hit different places in our lives, whether it's a crossroads or, you know, a divorce or the end of a job and you're like looking or searching or you're, you know, there's a, a vulnerability in that way. If you meet the right person at that time, who you trust, who invites you to something, that's how it can happen. It's not, Necessarily broken people, or I mean, like, I came from a very healthy, loving environment growing up. Mm-hmm. My parents are divorced. Um, so, was I looking for a sense of like belonging and meaning or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. That was my vulnerability. But, like, mm-hmm. people think vulnerability is a bad thing. You know, it's not, it's a human thing. We all have vulnerabilities, it's what makes us human. But I think it's important to educate people about that because if you're in one of those spots and you meet the right person, who you trust you could be led you know down that path if you don't know what the mm-hmm. red flags look look like that being said I'm feeling pretty strong right now one of my friends just invited me to something and I was like <laughs> like to a group with a spiritual leader and I was like gross ew burp. and she's like <laughs> well obviously you've had an experience I'm like no like read the room read the oh, no don't ever invite me to any of this shit ever again you know I'll yeah. to that publicly too I mean, I'm sure there's great spiritual leaders out there. And, and some of them I, I do like, but like, I'm just not going to follow them or go to a camp or, you know, retreat or anything like
0: that. you put in enough time and money and body, I'd say, to, laugh, to last anybody a lifetime. Uh, you were talking about your upbringing. And one thing that Shane and I got a kick out of was when you were talking in your camp about the quote unquote Jew camp. And you went there with Seth Rogen. I mean, being two kids from Vancouver, it kind of makes sense. But, like, are we going to expect a uh, Seth rendition of this story in a movie sometime soon? I mean, if he wanted to do that, I, I hope he would.
4: I hope he cast me in it. <laughs> 100%.
0: Smoke a lot of weed and
4: talk about you Camp.
0: Why not? I could get into it. But what's next for you? Because so much of your, you know, career development was in Nexium. That's over. That's bullshit. So how do you go forward – without this kind of professional background you know i don't know what's next to be
4: honest um i i've decided that i'm not deciding yet um i hear is that betty yes (laughs) i should i could have left let nora stay here with I sent them out to go explore the parkade, but like, maybe we'll get them in at the end. I don't think I I haven't decided yet. I have gone back to auditions and acting a little bit. I never stopped doing voiceover, so that's great. But I don't like, I'm kind of being pulled to maybe get a counseling or some sort of coaching certificate so I can help people who are in a similar situation. I'm Mm. doing it formally right now, just with people who are messaging. I can't even tell you how many people have written who are in other groups who need help. And I'm trying to like scramble to be able to get them. The, I should just post something on my website about with the resources so that people could go and look for good therapists that I've already kind of vetted and posted some videos that are helpful about gaslighting and how to know if you're in a in a high, high control group or a cult. Like that pulls me, but also like it's so dark. Like it's such a dark, gross world. And I have kids, and I just don't like. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. And how much of this are you going to share with your kids when they are older? As much as they're willing to. I mean, I, they, I dedicated the book to them and I think I wrote uh, something about that I hope they read it one day and that they're proud of us mm-hmm. and hopefully not embarrassed. Or, I mean, I, ju- I just hope it teaches them that it's important to stand up for what's right and to do the right thing even even when it's hard, even if people aren't going to like you for it. Uh, I'll tell, I, mean, I I hope I don't have to have that conversation with them anytime soon. Troy the eldest knows a little bit that there's like, a man who's in jail. That's what he knows.
0: That's, I'm sure, age appropriate. Um, but Sarah, I know you have a voiceover audition soon, and I just want to give you the opportunity to tell people where they can go to get your book, follow your story, see you online, whatever. Oh, awesome. Thank you. So, I mean, I'm on Instagram and just like I'm kind
4: of a new, I like you and your beautiful everything. I'm learning and trying to get back with that.
0: that.
4: Um, Thanks, yeah. by the way. Yeah, it's amazing.
0: Oh, there's a baby. <laughs> come in and say bye <laughs> hey. how old is she she's uh three months oh my goodness this is betty this is yeah. betty say hi to Sarah. Hi, betty Hello. you are so sweet oh i
4: miss <laughs> age <laughs> betty your mom was just asking where you can read my book you're not allowed to read my book but <laughs> those who want to it's on amazon it's on audible it's on yeah, on in, in indigo i mean i i love the audible for myself because i narrated it which is cool i've always wanted to do narration that, that is was, very cool i narrate my own book it's a quick read and i don't know if it's a good christmas present unless you know someone who's it's an amazing
1: it. christmas present i would love a book yes. like this it's i riveting. found it amazing
4: okay perfect I'll, I'll plug that for christmas then um <laughs> What else? I'm on Instagram. I'm, I'm learning it barely on Twitter, but Instagram is probably the best way to find what I'm talking about. And what is your Instagram? Oh, sorry. Sarah Edmondson. S-A-R-A-H-E-D-M-O-N-D-S-O-N, like son of Edmond.
1: And I just, my last question here is I know you're leaving. Uh, what did you think of your portrayal in the doc in the filmmaking of the doc itself?
4: Um, that's a great question. I mean, generally, I really trust the filmmakers. I think they really get it. I love them and I've become, um, yeah, just really trusting whatever, like I, they get the, they really got that they had to show the dream first, like in episode one, they really, I think they did a great job of painting what we thought we were building to the point where people were like, how can we join? (laughs) Please teach more classes. I'm like, never going to happen. But, but that was good. Like it was good because it was validating for me to be like, see, like this, this is what, it was good. There were good things. I, the only thing I didn't like, and I told him this as well, there's one scene where it makes me look like a very negligent parent where I'm like busy and Troy's crying. And I'm like, to me, that editing was a little bit, you know, <laughs> right? oh, yeah. reality TV show heightened. <laughs> I, you know, I'm never, I'm not a perfect parent. I've certainly don't claim to be, but I, I never would not attend to my child who's upset, mm-hmm. you know? So that yeah. was like, Oh, oh. <laughs> that was hard to watch, but you know, it's, people you got to edit and make drama like oh she's so busy she can't attend to her crying child yeah.
1: and is it is it changed your life at all the doc since it's come out
4: i mean it's changed my life and then i'm i'm the input like in terms of people wanting to connect like you know meeting you know even meeting you guys like now i know who you are and we're we're buddies um <laughs> you know on and instagram and in this way like that's a really cool silver lining to meet people who are you know trying to talk about important things that's I mean, what a, what a cool platform! I it's changed my life, and that it's taking up a lot of time to deal with. And like I was just saying I'm to your lovely wife here, that it's a lot of people want to talk about their trauma and their story and their issues and their journeys, and I'm trying to help them get resources. So I kind of feel like I'm scrambling a little bit to decide, like if I'm going to like be an exit counselor or. Mm-hmm just maybe be a speaker about these things. I don't know. Um, it got recognized a couple of times on the street, which is very strange because, you know, I've been an actor for 20 years and never been recognized. I've <laughs> never <laughs> done anything. Of biggest whatever.
1: role ever, yeah.
4: Yeah, this is my biggest role ever. And a few times on the street, people have just stopped and someone drove by in our neighborhood and rolled down our window and said, you're so brave. And I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> it's, like, it's weird. Like, it's, it's weird because it's not being recognized for a role, it's being recognized for something I did publicly.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And also it feels a bit strange because it wasn't just me. Like there was a whole team of people you can see in the vow, like Catherine and Mark and Bonnie and Nippy and Frank, like, and the women before me, like the women who tried to leave and, or tried to expose Keith in 2009, Susan and Barb. Like this has been an ongoing fight for a lot of, for a long time. and, And we would never have been able to have done what we did. Had they not done what they did. So there's, it's like a, it's a long, it's a long saga. It's a, it's a strange kind of attention, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that.
0: No, well, I I think that you'd be so good at it, Sarah. I mean, we haven't known you for very long, but you have been so warm. You are so empathetic and obviously so intelligent and brave. And I do think that you'd be such an amazing force in people's lives who have gone through something similar. So, if you are going on that career path, I think I think you'd be so amazing at it. Thank you, I appreciate that.
4: Got a little bit clamped, <laughs>
0: <Wow. laughs> but um, good luck with your audition today or your work. And uh, again, thank you so much for sitting down with us. I've really enjoyed this talk. And yeah, Shane and I have really been looking forward to it.
1: <laughs> yeah, so much. And of course, it was the craziest day today.
0: Yeah, like everything also, going on, And that's yeah. the reality of being
4: parents. And I'm not going to give you a tour of my apartment like um, the lady oh. from the <laughs> oh <my> god, <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: Yeah, Emma.
4: I don't have goats. And like the entire side of this side of the camera is just covered in toys. And like there's egg on the floor. And well, you get it, but. Oh, Oh, you
1: don't want to see what's going on on the other side of this camera either.
0: (laughs) But yeah, Sarah, thank you so much and uh, all the best. All the best. Take care, guys. For sure. See ya. Bye. Bye.
1: Okay, Alex. So will you be joining a cult? What do you think?
0: I think no. I'm thinking that the best route for me and for everything I want in life is to not join a cult. But if I do, and if anybody I know ever does join a cult, I hope that you keep... Sarah and her story in the back of your mind for, you know, just how to get out and how to finally learn how to stand up for yourself and stand up for what you know is right. Because that, that was hard. What she did was hard and what she is still doing and still going through, because they're all still awaiting sentencing, like Keith Waniere and everybody. So Sarah is very much still going through everything. And, you know, my heart to her and everybody else involved for this whole thing and I don't know when you heal from something like this
1: well let's get to our last segment this is where we answer listener questions before we used to just do this all willy-nilly but recently Alex started producing these segments where she where she figures out the answers to these questions so stick around we're actually going to learn some stuff
0: (laughs) all right so the first question tonight do you think life will ever go back to normal and if so when
1: I think life will go back to normal. And I'm um, I'm predicting June of t- 2021. June of
0: 2021? Yeah. All right, market. you heard it here, folks. But I'm wondering, like, will people, will it be mostly normal? And then will people just kind of be more wary of being in crowded places? Like I just think of just germs. And you see with COVID, because everything's being tracked, how things spread and how easy it is for somebody to get sick from somebody else. Do you think people are going to continue wearing masks in well, some the Western s- world like they do in the Eastern some world?
1: Some will, but I do think there'll be research that shows like we have to build our immunity through getting the minor sickness. What we don't want to do is get major sicknesses and...
0: In- no, I think that, I mean, people wear masks in Eastern countries all the time. And I don't know, I haven't read any studies if their immunity is affected, but I mean, I don't think so. Because I'm sure that... You know, you pick and choose when you're going to wear a mask. And I don't think that the masks would stay on in every situation like they are now. So I think that you will still be susceptible to like picking up illnesses from your friends and whoever you're hanging out with when you go to concerts, whatever. But maybe for just like day-to-day, like going on the bus, going on the train. Like I'd be in for wearing a mask.
1: Yeah, there'll be more masks for yeah. sure. But I don't think it'll be like everyone's wearing a mask.
0: Yeah. All right. I like that. We'll... Uh... I'm interested to see how it is going to go, obviously, as is everybody.
1: I can't wait.
0: <laughs> All right, next question. I'm 29 and mom curious, in quotes, but afraid that I'll be missing out on the young years. Any advice? None of my friends have kids. So for me, it's interesting. You know, you're 29 and you're, you might want to be a mom. This listener said that their husband or their partner is ready for kids but of course they're waiting for her because it's ultimately her decision but she's scared of missing out on the young years for me i just assumed your young years were in your 20s although i do like my 30s better so far however just because you're the only one that is maybe thinking about having kids in your group of friends i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing
1: oh and watch once you break the ice everybody starts getting pregnant once one person got pregnant my friend group it was like boom 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 people were dropping like flies that
0: baby fever hits hard
1: yeah and here's another thing to consider you want to be the young older person and what Mm. i mean by that is the sooner you have the kid the sooner the kid goes to college and then you can have that fun time period when you know you'd be 48 and the kids are off to college, you're still relatively young. You can go out and see the opera and do things that older distinguished people do and <laughs> still have fun. But if you wait till you're 39 to have a kid, then all of a sudden, what's 18 plus 39? Let's say you're 40 when you have a kid, <laughs> then you're uh, 58. And then, you know, it's just you're still relatively young. It's just you're not as spry as you would be had you had early. So so I think there's always a give and take and there's always an advantage and disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And I think like you were alluding to, Alex, 29, your your young 20s are still over. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's a great time to have a kid. Obviously, that's if you're feeling ready and you're actually just deciding when the best time to have it is.
0: Exactly. My
1: vote would be sooner rather than later.
0: Well I looked just because I know scientifically obviously it is better to have a child when you're younger but I was looking up some studies and you mean
1: better because it's more liable to have a healthy child like the odds are better.
0: Yes but the studies I was reading suggested that the best time to have a kid is when you're 30.5 so 30.5 and that is because You will have the best outcomes for the baby and the mother because you're still young enough and you're likely to be in a better financial position in your life to care for the kid, to be set up for a proper mat leave, things like that. So I thought that was interesting. And of course, you know, it's unfortunate, but for women, our fertility rates start dropping pretty quickly after 30 and then after 35. And obviously, pregnancy is possible and a healthy pregnancy is possible, but your risks for a lot of things do go up. So, you know, that is that is something to consider, I think. Yeah. All right, next question. How do you feel about the pod's efforts to increase diversity in your guests? Have you succeeded since you have previously stated that it, that it was a priority? So Shane and I talked a few months ago about how we wanted to, you know, make sure that our podcast was reaching all of our listeners, uh, regardless of their... Their background, whether they were somebody who was white, somebody who was, you know, a BIPOC person. Um,
1: Well, I just want to say I love this question, first of all, because hey, call us out. Yeah. And is this question from a person I would suspect? Probably. Okay.
0: But I have to say, I think that we are definitely succeeding. And I'm really, I'm happy to report that we're really conscious of the emails we send out. So, Shane. ...sends out emails to agents and guests.
1: Do you want me to speak on it? Yeah. Okay, so a lot of the time... For instance, this episode was in my plan, you know, and sometimes you plan things and they don't happen. But Sasha Exeter and Michelle were... uh, Michelle Watterson were originally going to be on this episode... However, schedules uh, are are different. People want to talk about certain things at certain times. You can't reveal information or things you're promoting, and there's always a best time for the guest. So, we're moving Sasha Exeter, who is a black woman, and that episode is going to air later in November. However, the episode's already recorded. We also recorded an interview with a woman named to- Topsy. I'll go, yeah, I'll go over okay. some of the guest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Go for
0: it. No, I I just want to say that we are implementing essentially affirmative action from our end uh but like shane said we're still at the mercy of you know See,
1: I, for some reason like i know i know what you're saying is right the affirmative action but i feel like we actually w- would have talked to these people no, anyway I, so it's weird
0: i know i agree but i think that for every you know marginalized person that says no it's like okay well who else can we find that's also marginalized to kind of, okay. you know what i mean we because yeah. we are trying to make things more equal now in the diversity on the pot that's true and and we are we are very conscious I of just that.
1: something rubs me the wrong way if it feels I like you know okay I know. go though
0: but yeah ultimately um we are like shane said at the mercy of who is available and who can speak when but we have a lot of interviews banked and we have a lot coming up and since shane and i made this a priority we've had shannon lee from wild the Nat pod photographer brie mcdaniel Indigenous activist, Ashley Collingbull, mindset coach, Topsy Bannenbosch. We have Cameron Boyce Foundation spokesperson and father of Cameron Boyce, Victor Boyce. And then we have Garfield Wilson, who, Shane, you want to say a little bit about him?
1: Yeah, this is fascinating. We haven't done this interview yet, but uh, Garfield Wilson is a black actor. He's on several popular shows. And his daughter had transgender surgery at the age of eight years old. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. I I don't know. I want to... I'm so fascinated yeah, by mean, this. So this is a, a polarizing, controversial thing. But it, it seems to have really worked out for Garfield and his family. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking about, about that. We also have Lizzie Velasquez. I'm, I'm terrible at yeah, names, so why have, why don't you say it? So
0: we have Lizzie Velasquez. She has marfanoid progeroid lipodystrophy syndrome, which she was born with. And it affects her health and her appearance in... So many ways. So she's become an activist for loving yourself and looking different, leading a different life. It's that interview for me was... Oh,
1: I bawled my eyes out. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm a sensitive person, but she talked about bullying and her parents writing her a letter every day. Oh, my goodness. Just Mm -hmm. talking about this is making me emotional. But what I was talking to Sasha Exeter about recently is I can't wait till we get to the point where we're not counting... Exactly. all the, the the bipoc people that we've interviewed and Sasha was talking about, she she started counting people on magazines that yeah. were that were black. And it's just, yeah, I like being called out in this way, but I'm really looking forward to the day where we're not thinking about it anymore. But I assure all of you listening, we are thinking about it and we are mm-hmm. thinking about it on a constant basis. And I'm working my butt off to make sure that we're having a diverse, wide range of people so we're not just listening to an echo chamber
0: yeah no absolutely um but right now because we are counting just to answer this question we also have as we said on this episode Michelle Waterson oh Michelle and yes <laughs> coming up we do have a really exciting one with actress Shannon Sossman
1: yes of course uh, Shannon Sosman is of mixed ethnicity
0: yeah and not only are we doing that, but we are trying to branch out with our sponsors and also support black-owned businesses with our sponsors. And we do have Mumgree starting their sponsorship this week, which is won't buy black women from Canada.
1: Yeah, so Mumgree was featured on a list of that Beyonce released yeah. of black-owned businesses. And, you know, that's not necessarily why we contact them. No, we, we just, contacted because uh, yeah. I got
0: obsessed <laughs> with their treats during pregnancy.
1: So, yeah, but anyway, I guess if we are counting... Mumgree, good for Mumgree, love Mumgree, and uh, we like to support black businesses. and I'm sure we'll support more in the future, and they will support us because it is Mm -hmm. a mutually beneficial partnership. Yeah.
0: And I think, like you said, Shane, the ultimate success here is not having to count. And I'd add that, you know, I think a part of that ultimate success is, you know, marginalized people saying yes to being on our pod. Immediately, because they feel like we're a good platform for them, and I think we are there with some guests, and I think that we're still working toward being even better at that. So, yeah, I think, I think we're doing a good job. And you know, if you don't agree with our idea of success, let us know. I'm interested in hearing how somebody else might measure it.
1: But if we are counting, how how many num- what was our numbers there? What I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> enough.
0: It's enough for three yeah. three months worth of pods. So I, so know I that.
1: hope you are all imp- very impressed with us out there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So next question. If your baby was in breach, would you have gone for a C-section or a breach birth? So this is tough. Shane, do you know what breaches?
1: Like breach a contract?
0: No. Okay. So when your baby's in breach, like when you deliver… The baby's
1: butt out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The
0: baby comes feet or butt first, feet and butt first. So this happens in three to 4% of full term healthy pregnancies where they can't, you know, turn the baby because you can do all these like techniques to kind of turn the baby in the womb before you deliver. But this is when that can't happen. So because neither of my children were breached, I really didn't know too much. So I did look it up and I, I want to focus on the risks. So first of all c-section it's major surgery a lot of things can go wrong with major surgery you can get infection you can have organ damage things like that but with a breech baby trying to deliver breech vaginally first of all if the feet and the rest of the body is coming out your vagina won't have the stretching like you think about a baby coming out right when they're coming out head first they're kind of going out then going back in going out then going back in and that is stretching your skin and your muscles and everything at an
1: appropriate rate
0: at an appropriate rate so that your baby can actually get out but if their feet first by the time it gets to the shoulders it won't have been stretched at an yeah. appropriate rate and then your baby runs the risk of getting stuck there and when the baby is stuck there are so many bad things can happen i know that oxygen can get cut off the baby can go into distress it's very scary another thing that can happen that's very scary when you're delivering reach is that you can have a prolapsed umbilical cord and what that means is that the umbilical cord will come out of the vagina will follow the vagina before the baby does which would then again cut off oxygen to the baby put the baby in distress and then you're going to end up with a c-section anyway so
1: so what would you do
0: (laughs) I would get a c-section personally because, you said. Y- and here's the thing. First and foremost, I would ask my doctor what they think I should do. And I would probably go with my doctor's recommend recommendation. If my doctor said maybe c-section and was not trying to push me, I'd say, okay, let's do it. Let's do c-section. But there is a higher risk overall with vaginal breach delivery over c-section. So that that would guide my decision, I think. Yeah,
1: c-section all the way. I would listen to what the doctor says. Mm-hmm. I'm not an intelligent man. Yeah, and
0: honestly, like delivering vaginally does not make your birth experience any more valid than any other kind of birth experience. So I know that with C-section mamas, and I'm just going by my friend's experience, sometimes there is a grief because they are grieving the loss of the birth and the labor that they thought they were going to have that they never end up having. But C-section delivery is just as beautiful and just as important as anything else
1: want to know a secret what's that i was a c-section baby you were
0: yeah that's a no secret
1: oh my mom told you that
0: yeah she's told me like 20 times
1: oh she opened with that i remember she, when you came she, to the house.
0: she yeah she uh told me to get a c-section if i can
1: wow <laughs> so we know my mom's stance
0: uh anyhow the next question What is one change that would make your life immensely better? I'll start for me one, two, three, money. money. Yes, (laughs) and here's the thing and like, yeah, money doesn't buy you happiness, but it buys you comfort, doesn't buy you
1: sadness. I'll tell you that, it buys
0: you time. And I think for us, that's the most important. Money can buy us time because
1: and comfort
0: yeah it's time like that, makes but... you comfortable i guess okay sorry i'm <laughs> but excited honestly, just just to be able to not be grinding so hard all the time and to be able to hang and do fun things i think that's the most important and secondly if it wasn't like just loads of money so we didn't have to work i'd you know a nanny or a butler a butler who nannied something like that No,
1: see i i feel awkward around a, a hired help well imagine
0: we imagine if roseanne who's living with us right now
1: we could pay her
0: we, that would yeah. be
1: strange I feel like it would Take away the love She always has to Work for free
0: That's true It's What about a butler That we just really love
1: It's hard Because once you start Paying the, the your friend Who becomes your butler Then it becomes It's like you own them And I don't like that
0: I don't like that either But I, I could use A little help around the house
1: Well if you don't Have to work You'd have more time And if I'm That's not true. working I could be your butler Alright money Okay
0: Money Shane Butler We want money
1: Call me Jeeves Please <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right next question as new parents navigating being on opposite okay sorry this one's worded odd so it says new parents navigating being on opposite ends of the worry spectrum so this listener is referring to the fact that shane has anxiety i am chill with most things but then we kind of switch it up with certain problems And who then said all you're
1: chill with most things
0: you you On the podcast. Well. Day-to-day life.
1: You let burdens build up until they explode.
0: Okay, why are you playing a blame game here, Shane? I'm trying to do this. I'm not. I'm playing the
1: accurate listeners need to know this game.
0: I'm not blaming you for all my life's woes, and I could, but nobody wants to hear that.
1: Well, just saying you could is just as bad as (laughs) saying it.
0: No, but I, I think that we, you know, we worry about different things and I think that our levels of worry and our levels of chill are the same just in regards to different types of problems
1: what's your biggest thing you worry about
0: <sighs> probably like dying or getting a divorce or Lucy going off to college
1: Hmm. Imagine, <laughs> real and
0: real rational stuff
1: imagine you died the day we got a divorce and Lucy went off to college well
0: yeah. at least I'd be dead and I would You know my worrying would stop oh
1: you die last
0: get out of here you're gonna give me bad dreams shane then divorce (laughs) you're gonna give me bad dreams It's gonna be worse than blind manor dreams but yeah i i don't think it's hard to navigate because i think that if you and your partner have you know if one person's really anxious about one thing and the other is calm about it then you can meet each other in the middle and the calm person can hopefully help mitigate the other person's worry and vice versa So I think it's helpful if you're not always worrying about the same thing or if you're not always chill about the same thing. It's good to have, you know, two different perspectives, one foot in the worry zone, one foot in the don't worry, babe, we got this zone.
1: I feel like you have been entering a more distressed zone as of late.
0: Well, babe, I was so sick last week. No shit.
1: Yeah, I'm just stating facts. I'm not like asking to be sworn at.
0: (laughs) All right, next question. Shane, have you let alex dump ice water on you yet
1: no because alex is the type of person she talks a big game uh, but she doesn't have a great follow-through with 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 plans
0: yeah that's true and
1: and i I realize the irony because i'm the person who said i was going to jump in the lake and trust me i wanted to go in that lake but when somebody who owns the the cottage is saying don't jump in the lake because it's going to make me uncomfortable i'm not going to do it you you show me a bucket with ice i'll show you a head covered with water and ice from the bucket <laughs> All
0: right. that'll happen this week and i will follow through
1: yeah well, i can't wait
0: next question is getting a house cleaner worth the money? sorry
1: <clears throat> we wouldn't know uh, yeah we we wouldn't know this house can't get dirtier i don't know about house cleaner. <laughs>
0: It's just untidy. But I would say that a house cleaner, yes, is worth the money. The few times that we've had them, like to help us get ready for events or something at the house.
1: No, we got been, mad at them for not cleaning the toilets properly. We always get mad at them.
0: Well, behind their backs. We don't get mad at them to them.
1: We told your mom once and your mom messaged one.
0: <laughs> she didn't.
1: Oh, I thought she did. <laughs> what? Remember, we got a cleaner and the <gasps>
0: Oh my gosh, that was like two years ago. Yeah, we paid them a ton of money. And when we came home, there was pee on the toilet seat and it wasn't ours. Cause you don't, <laughs> well, like, here's the thing. Cause you always like, weren't kind they of, women
1: though? Do women pee on toilets? No, 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 seats?
0: there was a man there too.
1: He was yeah. peeing on our seat. Because
0: so, what happened was, it was when we were selling our old house, right? And you always kind of tidy up your house for the cleaners. So the house is already in better shape than you normally have it before the cleaners get there. So they can just really get down to it, right?
1: Finer details.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, of course, I'm going to make sure the toilet is like not gross or not anything for the cleaners. So and to get home and see the pee on the toilet seat was shocking.
1: I guess it is better than a floaty, but still, <laughs> urine is no good.
0: No, so we do. I'm just,
1: anti-cleaner though, for we, sure. Yeah, anti-cleaner. We,
0: well, yeah, I I am for the most part, but it would. Uh, you just
1: started this saying Cleaner was good though.
0: Yeah, because I'm. Here's the thing. I'm anti them right now because of our where we are in our budgets. They're no, just but not you're a saying priority. if you
1: have the budget,
0: then yes, cleaner. Okay. I I think I'd feel good with a house cleaner. Okay. Like once every two weeks, have somebody come in, do the stuff that you don't like. I feel like I'd them. be
1: so stressed with the house cleaner coming because then I'd have to clean for the cleaner and then it's like, what are you even doing?
0: Let's get. I'd be the one cleaning for the cleaner and then the cleaner comes in and then we're all happy. Cool. Last question. Who is usually the first person to say sorry in an argument?
1: Okay. Ready? I what? I am. Alex. You, I,
0: I didn't even have to think about that. You, I'm just surprised that you're you not are, only You're living in a dreamland. It. No. No. I'm... No, that's not
1: true. I would take, I would bet all of our children's lives, yeah, money, fame, Mm -hmm. everything. I'm the first to say sorry.
0: Mm, I'd bet all the same things to say I am. I'm telling you.
1: When's the last time you apologized?
0: Probably this morning.
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) saying like I'm sorry, but you're an asshole for leaving those clothes on the ground does not count.
0: No, no, no. I, I. uh, I think I apologized this morning, actually, for like maybe being not so nice or something, and I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry."
1: Okay, maybe if it's like if I'm like coming to you and I'm like, "Alex, you cannot be like this," and then maybe you'll like take four hours and be like, "That's
0: not true." Shane,
1: you were right, but I'm talking. I guess I'm talking about more so an apology that comes without somebody asking for it.
0: Yeah, I do that
1: i disagree i don't
0: think i don't think though when we're if we're like in an arguey mood i don't think you hear it or like i don't think you internalize it you know what i mean
1: i guess maybe i'm the king of the heartfelt apology and you're maybe the like uh, i'm just going to begrudgingly apologize because that'll shut old cunningham up
0: all right yeah shane you're right i am sorry this shouldn't have been discussion i (laughs) I could
1: see that joke a mile away and quite frankly i thought it was pretty good
0: (laughs) thank you all right well that's it
1: that's all thank you so much for listening to this This family Family tree Podcast. podcast
0: episode 59